Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am set host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 30th, 2023, including E3 seems to be officially dead. Something is going on over at Xbox-owned developer Playground Games, cheap Game Pass seems to be coming to an end, and more. It's episode 200, baby. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2011, Need for Speed Shift 2 Unleashed, or Shift 2 Unleashed as it was boxed and titled, released on the Xbox 360, that was 12 years ago. Uh, I never played that one, if I'm not mistaken, Shift was the series that was a little more like sim racer focused, it tried to be a little bit more like a, I don't know, maybe like a Forza Motorsport as a force, like, as opposed to like a Forza Horizon kind of thing. I don't know. I like Need for Speed a lot, but it's a series I've always kind of cherry-picked. I've, you know, play one, go a couple years, maybe play another one here or there. I actually keep meaning to play Unbound. I have it downloaded on my Series S, and I still haven't booted it up yet, but I really love the game that came the year after Shift 2, which was um, Need for Speed Most Wanted. I played the hell out of that game. I thought that was a, a damn fine Need for Speed. Need for Speed's a overall pretty good series. I know, I know it's past its prime to a lot of people, but it, it is still a pretty good series. Those games are consistently uh, pretty solid, although I guess I could be wrong. I haven't played the past few, so maybe they've absolutely sucked in recent years, but I doubt that. Guys, welcome to episode 200 of the Xbox On podcast. That's right. You're not having an aneurysm. You're just, you're not, you're not stuck in a time loop. You're not in a coma. You're not, you're not in prison. You're not in hell. This is not what hell is, surprisingly. You have voluntarily listened to one to 200 episodes of the Xbox On podcast, and today we're here to commemorate that 200 landmark. Yeah, so uh, a little celebration here. My cat just meowed in the background. I doubt you heard it, but if you did, that was her celebration squeal. Uh, but yeah, so to celebrate, let, let me just roll, you know, Lay it out for you. Today's episode is going to be just like any other episode of the podcast. I don't know if I'm lazy, uninspired, a mixture of both, or I don't want to be too self-congratulatory perhaps, but it's just going to be a regular episode of Xbox On. However, we are going to celebrate in one occasion, in one way. Uh, at the end of the show, we're just going to have a fuck ton of comments. We got a, a decent amount of comments. A lot of you guys were super nice and wrote in with happy 200 kind of comments and a lot of good questions and things like that. So I'm just going to read everything and anything that got written in this week uh, because we, why not, dude? I always say what the thing that makes this show special is the kind of just random guy talking with the audience. Just just a bunch of people that love Xbox talking about Xbox. You don't need any kind of qualification to have your voice heard on the show. And I love that. So we're going to celebrate the thing that makes this show worth doing and the thing that makes me uh, in the thing I think is, is the is the best part of the show, which is just all the uh, commentary and write ins and, and personality that comes from the audience. So we'll do a bunch of that at the end of the show. Otherwise, it'll be a normal, normal situation. We'll talk about some Activision Blizzard stuff. We'll talk about probably some layoffs, uh, probably some sexual harassment, you know, typical video game stuff. Um but yeah, I did. I did want to, you know, start out. I, I, I got to eke one out. Okay, we got 17 write-ins. Just let me start out with 
these two quick ones just kind of talking about the subject matter of episode 200 of Xbox on it's been nearly four years I think June will be four years it's crazy to think about but yeah unless I uh, unless I die in the middle of this recording and don't make it out um, we should yeah we should be 200 weeks consecutive of Xbox on so knock on wood there uh, tech daddy K wrote in and says happy 200. 200 stories on Activision Blizzard, 200 Taco Bell recommendations, 200 high, pra- uh, high praises for Call of Duty, 2,000 uses of the F word, 200 Halo Infinite complaints, 200 fans maybe, 200 Mountain Dew flavors, 200 misguided corporations are evil comments, uh, 200 bitchin' outros, 200 wrong takes on ketchup, 20 funny jokes maybe. 200% better than any other Xbox podcast. Here's to another 200 years on Xbox on. Uh, I love this tech daddy. This is uh, I, I thought this was the best, the best comment that, you know, in some ways says absolutely nothing, but in some ways uh, I think sums up everything the show is and ever has been. And I love it. So I appreciate you tech daddy for always uh, listening to your comments. You hang out with us in the streams and holding me accountable. Sometimes, you know, tell me what I, what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. 20 funny jokes, now you're just flattering. That's not going to get you nowhere, baby. All right, uh, and Sam Torres also wrote in a little quick one. I, I guess I was going to eke out here. I didn't realize I had this one put, posted up here. Maybe I should review my notes before I hit record. But anyway, Sam says, OMG, 200. Like laps in NASCAR, which I don't endorse even though I live here in Florida. Congrats on being the best podcast host for Xbox fans uh, that Xbox fans have ever known. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesse DeRosa for the motherfucking win. Or did you say fucking win? Oh, good. That way you get through the uh, YouTube algorithm. Now sell out and go do a Dreamcast podcast and also references gin and juice box combos and Golden Corral Xbox on 200 flawless victory. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Sam Torres. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say best X. I'll be. I'll be quite honest. I still think Ryan McCaffrey is the voice of the Xbox. Uh, is the best voice as far as Xbox commentary and all that goes. Even though I think. His podcast, the IGN Xbox podcast, has had some highs and lows. I think eh, I, I, my, my money's still on Ryan McCaffrey. I still think uh, anything he's doing is probably worth a listen. So, But I do appreciate the kindness no, nevertheless. And, uh, yeah, I am I am absolutely going to sell out, you guys. I just pre-ordered, I pre-ordered something that's been out for two and a half years, uh, the PlayStation 5. I'm, yes, it's coming in the mail. I'm going to go become a PlayStation sellout. Fuck Xbox. I mean, where are the games? Am I right? Uh, Game Pass is full of cheap games that nobody wants anyway. That's why they're on Game Pass. I mean, God of War, am I fucking kidding? Let's not talk about uh, The Last of Us Part 2 because, you know, whatever, you know, we brush that one aside. But, oh, my God, God of War is such a cool game. Dope-ass victory. Definitely looking forward to all the games we paid for exclusivity. Let's go Team Blue. How about you? Uh, But, no, all joking aside, thank you so much for the write-ins, guys. I appreciate the uh, kind words. And, uh, hey, all the uh, fart smelling aside, what do you say we jump into the regular show as we normally would? Starting off with the notable game releases of the week. This week we got a couple things I, I want to point out here. First one being, speaking of PlayStation, MLB The Show 23 comes to Xbox. It's a day one Game Pass title as it has been for the past three years in a row now. This game is a staple on Game Pass. Love to see this deal. We've talked about this ad nauseum over the years as we've watched the story develop. Clearly there was some kind of deal with MLB and, and Microsoft worked out to where they not only ended up strong arming Sony into putting their own internally developed baseball game, premier baseball game on Xbox, but also managed to work out a deal where they get the game in Game Pass. So clearly that's a lot of MLB Microsoft handshaking behind closed doors and doesn't have much to do with uh, Sony and Microsoft playing nice, but 
nonetheless, it's worked out in our favor because to Sony's credit, MLB The Show has been, without a doubt, the best baseball game forever. And uh, to have it on Xbox is uh, really all you could ask for. If you're, an ex- if you're a baseball fan, you're looking for a good game on Xbox. I don't even know that you really want a game like MLB The Show. You want MLB The Show. So this is great as always. So uh, that is a day one Game Pass game. It is out. As of the time you're listening to this, it's already out. The next title here is actually the next two are also out as of the time we're uh, recording, which is Sifu, which came out on Tuesday. Uh, optimized for Series X and S, smart delivery title. Now this game was uh, this game made huge waves last year when it released on PS5 and PC, and then I think it came to Switch at some point if I'm not mistaken. But it's finally now making its way to Xbox. Um, this is that I don't really know exactly what kind of game it is, but it's that uh, like kung fu type game where every time you die you revive, but you're older. And uh, people really ranted and raved about this game. Supposedly, it's pretty damn good. Uh, it looks cool. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to play it, but it does look cool, and I really uh, appreciate and admire the uniqueness of it. I know a lot of people are probably excited to finally have this on Xbox, so there's a win for uh, for you green gamers out there. And then lastly, Forza Horizon 5 has a new expansion that is out as of the damn recording this on Wednesday. Yes, it's called the Rally Adventure, so if you like rally racing, that off-road, WRX, get your tires dirty kind of shit, this is the expansion for you. The best racing game in the uh, in the industry is getting only better with new content. So, some notable releases. Um, yeah, and with that with that said, we move right on through to our Activision updates of the week. This first one's actually quite unique and interesting, so I, I, I think most will find it pretty compelling as, as we all drone on thinking about or, or as we all roll our eyes, thinking about having to talk about this Activision Blizzard deal again with Microsoft. But first one, I promise, is pretty interesting, and then we'll just kind of run through these second two, uh, or the second and third, rather. There's three total. Oh, I should say that front. All right, so all from VGC, because it's the only website my mom hasn't blocked with my internet access. Uh, Japan's competition regulated, regulator has concluded that it has no issues with Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard and will not be blocking the deal. The Japan Fair Trade Commission has published a statement in which it says that it has reviewed the transaction and reached the conclusion that it is unlikely to result in substantial restraining competition or any particular fields of trade or in any particular fields of trade. It adds that uh, it has notified parties of JFTC, the Japanese Federal Trade Commission, uh, that it will not issue a cease and desist order resulting in, com- in the completion of its review. And any document explaining its decision, the Trade Commission uh, has said that they did the deal didn't violate any of its anti-competitive legislator- legislation, uh, saying that its integration falls under the safe harbor criteria for vertical business combinations. So they, in some way, they're kind of uh, acknowledging it as a vertical monopoly, though, which I find somewhat funny just based on the wording there. Uh, anyway, it's also concluded that the deal wouldn't result in supply constraints and other platforms, noting that there's their uh, competing businesses. Games are distributed in digital formats, so it's unlikely that there will be a shortage of supply capacity. Therefore, the acquisition would not substantially restrain competition or particular fields of trade. There is Japan just basically being blunt, cut, clear, dry, Straightforward and honest, Western world, where you at? We gotta sit all day jerking our wieners, talking about Call of Duty might be might be uh, compromised on the PlayStation Five, and then Phil Spencer's got to get up there and one side of his mouth be like Starfield's exclusive to Xbox, fuck you PlayStation. The other side of his mouth being like, we would never take Call of Duty away. We just want gamers to win the battle at the universe, and uh, they will ride Gilgamesh all the way to victory. And we just gotta sit here and be like, wow, three more years of this, and then maybe we can get. 
Call of Duty Vanguard and Game Pass. Uh, anyway, the last up or second update. Sorry, let me before we move on to the second update. That one is notable because there's a story that comes up later in the news where I think you know it, it has to do with Japan and kind of their commentary on the Microsoft and Xbox, uh, Microsoft Xbox and Sony PlayStation kind of relationship and competition, which we really don't see a lot of that. And you know, in a time where we're so used to getting so much beaten over the head kind of commentary from the Western world and Western markets on this competition. It's really interesting to get this Japanese take. So put a pin in that, hold that thought, because we'll get back to some of this when it comes to uh, the main news segment. But we got two other quick Activision-related stories. First one, the, or the next one being that the UK's Competition Markets Authority, that's right, the CMA, says that they no longer believe Microsoft's proposed ac- acquisition of Activision Blizzard will significantly reduce competition in the console gaming space. Just stop right there. That's that's a huge milestone. They're basically over this hurdle with the CMA. It's not all completely done technically, but it looks like they're kind of sprinting towards the finish line on this and things are going to clear up. Um, so they, they found that in the provisional findings, they said that uh, the evidence presented alleviated the concern that Xbox would hold Call of Duty back from PlayStation, that they'd fuck up the game and try to sabotage PlayStation, all these other things, and basically just all the nonsensical bullshit they've been making us all suffer through for the past year or so. So that's good. Uh, technically, we still have to wait until May. Uh, before we get an official stamp of approval, but it seems like we're basically there, that they are ready to render the verdict that, yeah, this deal can go through, we can all go back to living our lives, and we don't have to bite our fingernails as much anymore. So that is uh, one step closer to getting this deal over with. And then the last update here is that CEO of Activision Blizzard, Bobby Kotick, has claimed Sony's bid to thwart the Call of Duty maker's sale on uh, to Microsoft uh, will not be held against the PlayStation maker in the long term. In an email sent to Activision employees this past week, Kotick provided an update on the status of the deal and said that Sony's recent behavior was, quote, disappointing. Quote, we all know our passion... <laughs> We all know our passionate players uh, would, would be the first to hold Microsoft accountable for keeping their promises of content and quality parity. And all of us here who work so hard to deliver the best games in the industry care too deeply about our players to ever launch subpar versions of our games. Consequently, we don't care enough about our staff, which is why we're allowed, we've allowed for women to be discriminated upon and sexually harassed for so many years. And I continue to uh, support our developers and our employees in doing it for many more years to come. Bring on the money. I mean, that last part, I mean, you can't make that stuff up. That's just that's just what Bobby said, man. I mean, fucking, it's VGC, man. You can click on the link. You know, look, look for yourself, man. It's Bobby's words. Maybe, possibly. Sarcasm. Please don't sue me. All right, that's it for now. Uh, basically, that all that quote really says is uh, there's too much money to be made with Sony, so we would never let uh, some courtroom uh, debate get in the way of uh, money, essentially. But there you go. There are your Activision updates of the week. Let's quickly move on from that because episode 200 is just way too special to be wasting it on a, on a raggedy old Bobby Kodak. What do you say about that? Corrections? You think I'm going to you think I'm gonna correct myself on my 200th episode of my podcast? Fuck you. All right, let's move on to the stories of Mild Amusements updates. Uh, first one here. So this will uh, get some... Uh, some 80s kids rocking and rolling in their PJs. VGC bringing on the news. Originally reported by Polygon. A new game based on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series franchise IP is now in development, but this one promises to be darker and more mature than recent entries. The game will be based on The Last Ronin, a five-issue comic miniseries released back in 2020, which is set for uh, set in the future and sees three of the turtles already dead. Wow. 
dead turtles. Uh, roadkill is what we call that. In an interview with Polygon, Paramount Global Senior VP for games Doug Rosen said that the game would be a third-person action RPG inside recent God of War games as a comparison. Oh, yay. Uh, I, I don't know anything about this series so I don't or this storyline, so I don't know which one of the four Ninja Turtles is not dead, but I cannot wait to see their Kratos arc. Um, given the nature of the story, the game will mainly be single-player as opposed to multiplayer, and uh, as other titles have been, such as last year's highly successful, beloved, critically acclaimed, and very damn good Shredder's Revenge. But yeah, uh, listen, man, I don't I don't read Ninja Turtle comics. I'm not a big Ninja Turtles fan, so I'm not going to sit here and criticize because, listen, I get it. I like Sonic the Hedgehog. Who am I to say? Um, I, I have no beef with Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles are cool. I like those campy-ass, goofy uh, live-action movies from the, from the late 90s. They're fun movies, whatever. But, uh, man, I don't... This dark, gritty Ninja Turtles where three of the four turtles are dead. Holy fuck. I'm going to assume it's Raphael who makes it because he's my favorite. But um, that's fucking grim, dude. Like, I like what ha- what happened, dude? They ordered they ordered pizza, and it was like Shredder, but he had a mustache on and a Pizza Boy hat, and they didn't realize it, and they let him in the house, and he comes in, he just fucking slaughters three of them, and turns them into turtle soup, and badass. But all joking aside, I actually welcome this game because even though from a narrative standpoint, you know, I got I got to see it to believe it to you know to be sold on this dark, gritty, mature Ninja Turtles game. I, I am sold on the idea of a Ninja Turtles game that maybe a little more AAA, maybe a little more polish on it. Nice third-person, 3D action, whatever game with some deep and rich combat. I think that could be pretty cool. You know, I'm a big proponent of the licensed movie games. And while this is not technically a licensed movie game, it is kind of a, um, you know, it's like a, lic- a licensed IP, whatever. We I just feel like we don't, we don't see enough of this explored outside of Star Wars. <laughs> so just to see, like, I don't know, making a serious, mature potentially triple a kind of take on um i don't know on an ip that traditionally gets either budgety games or like retro throwback games i think will be cool because it's kind of in line with like my constant unending desire to get a triple a god of war style ratatouille game so i don't know respect to the ninja turtles fans excited for you excited to see who's gonna be making this game but paramount seems pretty uh pretty set it's gonna be a third person action rpg a la God of War. Three dead Ninja Turtles. Alright, this next one's a really fun one. Gets my brain all excited and tingly, and I hope I hope we see something on it in the near future, and it's not just teases. But Microsoft has been exploring the possibility of designing an Xbox controller with a touchscreen for accessing various for accessing various features. Uh, because you know it went so well for Nintendo. According to Games Rant, a recent Xbox patent describes a controller that could save a player's custom loadouts, which could be accessed via its built-in touchscreen. Uh, As shown in the image below, the touchscreen could also be used to track the player's in-game performance and access social media features. Uh, I'm looking at the patent photo here. The image shows quite a detailed look at what this controller would would, would be. I encourage you to go online and take a look at this if you're interested. It's quite different looking for an Xbox controller. Actually looks uh, like a DualSense controller, uh, but with the off-access analog sticks, of course. The image suggests that the touchscreen might also be used to access 
audio settings and the display of the controller uh, controller's uh, sorry charge levels. You can see that as well. Uh, the patent reportedly mentions compatibility with external devices like mobile phones via an app because we are back in 2011. Everything's got to have an app, baby. But actually, I I, I you know I kid, I, I poke fun, but I actually love this idea. I'm not one of those people that's going to sit around and be like, I just need a regular controller and the most powerful console in the world. I love gimmicky stuff. I love the Nintendo Wii. I love the DS and the 3DS. Uh, I love the concept of the Switch, despite the fact that it has very few actually good games. Uh, I, 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 I love what Nintendo's done historically with gaming by just kind of being like, fucking wacky, I don't care what they say about us, let's throw shit at the wall and see what sticks and just be different, ridiculous, and creative. So I, I admire that, I appreciate that. As someone who loves Microsoft Surface and wants my my computer to have a kickstand and my phone to be able to be dual screen and bendy and foldable and all the shit, I'm all for crazy, stupid, unnecessary, gimmicky things that don't necessarily revolutionize things that already exist, but rather just give us an excuse to buy a new version of something. So I really genuinely do love this idea. And... My, my assumption, based on you know this this uh, patent rendering that shows no doubt these really premium grips on the side, what we're looking at is is a mock-up, uh, some some form of an you know something that came out of an R and D session for uh, what could be an Elite Series Three controller, if I had to guess. So. Listen, we, we know all the way back at the beginning of the Xbox Series X generation, Phil Spencer was quite candid about the PS5 and the DualSense and was like, yo, that that haptic feedback, those that crazy uh, haptics that exist in the in the PS5, the, the resistant triggers and all that shit, stuff's cool. I, you know, it might be cool to have that in an Xbox controller one day. We're not ruling it out. That was basically the takeaway from back in, back, you know, two years ago or whatever it was. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft is working on an Elite Series 3 controller that has the bells and whistles that the DualSense has while also trying to one-up it and make it unique and stand apart by being like, fuck it, now it's a now it's a Wii U. It's also got a screen in the middle. It's got fucking apps and connects to your phone and tells you when your mom is texting you to tell you good luck on the podcast tonight and all those things. So it, I, I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's fun. I would 100% be more inclined to drop... 250 300 on a ridiculous top line expensive unnecessary peripheral like a like an elite controller if i knew it had crazy haptics and a touch screen and connectivity to my phone as opposed to it just being a really 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 premium controller kind of like the, the current model is obviously it has other features and you know the different buttons that you can swap in and out and the paddles and all that but this is true, like next level gimmicky shit, and that that really speaks to me. So I think this is fun. I, I'm curious what what you guys uh, think about this. I don't think there's a chance in hell this has anything to do with um with like the new standard issue Xbox controller going forward. I think 100% this is a premium top of line kind of kit um, that would you'd buy separately, like a like an Elite controller. Maybe just maybe just maybe you know if if Microsoft actually goes through with like a mid generation refresh, kind of like an Xbox One X style mid gen refresh, like a Xbox Series X version X kind of thing. Maybe this could be like one of the selling features as it comes with this controller and it can support 4K 120 FPS gaming all the time and make you dinner and be an air fryer at the same time. I don't know. You know, may maybe that's like the selling point, but whatever the case may be, if this controller ends up, you know, making it out of just the conceptual patent phase and it makes its way to market at one point in time, I, I'm pretty into it. I like it. I like what we're seeing. Um, it has the little switch. If you look at the, you know, if you, if you go online, you'll look up the picture of this patent, you see it has the little toggle switch that the Elite Series controllers have, or I don't know what the fuck it is. I think it's different controller settings, and you just flick the switch that's under the home button, the guide button, 
I think it's a little switch to flick to different controller settings, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I love it. I love it. It's got a notifications bar, a battery percentage bar, like a like a freaking phone. It shows your gamer tag, and then it has apps so you can control. I, I'm sure this controller would have a speaker and have audio that plays out of it, kind of like the PlayStation controllers do. I'm all over this. I think it's cool. You know, the Call of Duty seems to be the thing that they're most mostly noting here, where they're just like, hey, you could see your loadouts while you're playing the game, or you could check the scoreboard while you know look down your controller and check the scoreboard. I love this shit. It's so, so, so unnecessary, and I absolutely love it. And we all know how this goes. It's expensive. Everyone kind of scratches their head and says, why does this exist? And then, like, a couple developers at launch support it, and then by the second year, nobody supports it except maybe some internal first-party developers, and then we were all left here wondering why the hell Xbox isn't making all first-party developers support this new idea and this new hardware, and then it dies on the vine within two years, and we all kind of look back on it ten years later and go, you know what? YouTube video essay time, the Xbox Series Elite controller with touchscreen and haptics and Joy-Cons was actually kind of good. There I said it. I'm not even embarrassed. Whatever. Eee, throwback. And then, uh, yeah, that's basically the the life and death of this this entire controller there for you, summed up from uh, starting from now until three years from now. So there you go. That's everything you need to know. Uh, come back next week, and I'll tell you about what day you're going to die. I know all these kinds of things. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fortune teller. But, yeah, no, I, I, I'm totally 100% all in. I don't need to say anything about it other than taking myself out of the equation, thinking about for the market, is it smart to have something like this? I, that I don't know. <laughs> We're heading into tough economic times. I don't know. Releasing a controller like this, you think about, like, the current series, Elite Series controller, ranges from, like, 140 to 210, I believe, depending on if you buy just the controller or with the kit with all the accessories. So, I for these extra features, you're probably going to want to charge an extra 50 to to $100. I'm thinking this is a $299 controller at the absolute lowest. This is a $250 controller. So, you know, with inflation and everything the way it is, this is, this is a $300 controller. Let's be honest about it. I don't know that now is the time for an accessory like that, that the market's really going to speak to something like that. But you never know. You could be, yeah, I could be dead wrong. Maybe, maybe people flock to this. But I'm pretty sure Sony just put out their kind of final response, like finally they responded to the Xbox Elite controller. And if I'm not mistaken, that thing isn't like necessarily hitting the ground running and it's pretty pricey. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we're seeing a similar thing. If, if, uh, if this, if this patent comes to fruition, keep in mind, Things get patented all the time. This could be literally just that, and then we never see anything come of it. This could be a patent from three or four years ago, and we never saw anything come of it. Who knows? You know, This isn't a guarantee. Uh, I'm just speculating here and a little bit daydreaming because, again, I could see a world where most people don't give a shit about this, but I care because I like stupid shit, and I think Xbox Connect was pretty good, and you guys ruined it. By not supporting it. That's right. I'm blaming you, the, the, the listeners of Xbox On. I'm not blaming you, the royal you, as Xbox fans or consumers of video games. I'm specifically singling out and targeting you as a listener of Xbox On. I hold you personally responsible, and you should be ashamed of yourself. All right. We got two more stories of mild amusement. I don't know if this is technically amusing because it's about Bioware, the developer that just... I, I don't believe they're actually making video games. They're lying. They're lying. But... EA have announced that Bioware veteran Mark Dara is again working at the studio in a bid to help it complete Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Uh, Dara, who is now serving as a consultant on the game, retired from Bioware in February of 2021 after almost a quarter of a century at the studio. During that time, he let uh, he led programming for Baldur's Gate 
directed Sonic Chronicles on the DS, and was executive producer on the Dragon Age franchise. Additionally, EA told VentureBeat that BioWare's Mass Effect team is now assisting with Dragon Age Dreadwolf as it reaches this uh, hopefully final stretch of development, while a small core group led by Mike Gamble continues the pre-production work on the next entry in the Mass Effect series. So it's basically, this isn't too unheard of for like a team to be like, hey, uh, all hands on deck, we're finishing up the new Dragon Age. And so, you know, people on Team B maybe come over to Team A and help them kind of get the, get the product out the door. And then, you know, because in pre-production, you don't necessarily have everyone on the team working. So... You don't need a full team, so it's just more cost-effective. It makes more sense to take some of that team that's not all gung-ho, hands-on-deck on Mass Effect just yet, kind of over to the uh, to the Dragon Age team to kind of finish up Dreadwolf and get out the door. So I don't find that part too particularly concerning or weird or unusual, but it's just the constant, oh, yeah, so-and-so's back at, at BioWare. Just kidding. They're gone again. So, oh, so-and-so's coming back for the fifth time. Just kidding. They hate their job. They quit. They're forming a new studio, though. Hey, they're forming a new studio, and they're, rec- they're recruiting apply for jobs and I feel like we just read this story almost as much as we read about Activision Blizzard and and just quite frankly I again I don't care I, I don't care about Dragon Age or BioWare or Mass Effect or anything pertaining to this studio these IP any of it until we get some motherfucking gameplay I don't care Dreadwolf still doesn't exist to me I don't believe it show me some gameplay Mass Effect oh my god Poor Mass Effect fans. You guys are going to be waiting a while. All right. Let's... Uh, <laughs> I'm so mean for no reason about Bioware. Uh, anyway, keeping with EA as we get to our final story. EA have announced plans to cut... Oh, yeah. More good news. Plans to cut 6% of its workforce as part of a restructuring plan. In a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, this past week, the company said it expects to incur up to $200 million in charges in connection with the move. The consistent... Uh, these... Sorry, these uh, changes consist of approximately $65 million to $70 million uh, in charges related to intellectual property impairment, approximately $55 million to $65 million related to employee severance and employee-related costs, and approximately $45 million to $55 million associated with office space reduction, and approximately $5 to $10 million of other charges, including contract cancellations. Uh, I wonder what intellectual property impairment means, if that's a... If that's uh, if that's them giving up or canceling a project that has to do with intellectual property that they're working on, we know EA's got a team working on an Iron Man game. So, uh, you know, if you're canceling that, you might owe Disney and Marvel some money because you paid to use this license, signed an agreement to build the game around some IP you don't own, and now if you're canceling it or scaling it back or whatever the case may be, maybe maybe now you gotta pay some cancellation fees or something. I don't know if that's what that relates to. I'm not legally inclined, so I could be making shit up, but thinking thinking about it. As noted by GamesIndustry.biz, the layoffs could impact around 775 employees based on EA's latest report, in which it said they have 12,900 people globally employed as of March 2022. So there you go. Roughly 800 or so people are probably losing their job at EA. More good news from companies posting record-breaking profits, just uh, firing people because... We have deluded ourselves into thinking that sustaining company growth year over year is more important than uh, just generally doing okay and keeping people employed. I guess that makes the uh, the economy healthier. Awesome. Cool shit. Awesome. More people suffer and love it. Can't live without it. It's the only way. Anyway, and then uh, the government went on to bail out three more banks. But instead of talking about that, 
we're going to move on from stories of mild amusement, the openings and all the uh, ramblings and get into kind of the meat and potato of Xbox on, which is the big news. But you know how it is. We we walk. We don't. Oh, my God. My downstairs. My downstairs neighbors are freaking the fuck out. Nice. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> before I can talk about the news, we got to talk about the games we've been playing this week because I'm sure you're all just uh, dying to know what games I've been playing. And before I can even tell you about that, I've got to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, listen up, motherfuckers. We got to talk about Taco Bell. And this isn't just this isn't just, you know, uh, pandering because it's episode 200 and this show's audience was built on my love for Taco Bell. No, we got to talk about it because the grilled cheese burrito is finally back at Taco Bell. It actually wasn't gone that long, but there's a revelation in here. There's something beautiful here. The grilled cheese burrito is back at Taco Bell, but in a bigger way than last time, because even though last time it stuck around for about a year before it went away, last time they brought it back, it was only available in the steak option, which was twofold. Steak is the worst meat at Taco Bell. And it made the burrito way more expensive than it usually was. So even though the grilled cheese burrito with steak was still damn good and it was still worth your time and money, um, it wasn't as good as the original rendition because the original rendition was beef instead of, of steak. And it was like four or five bucks instead of like seven or eight bucks. So good news is grilled cheese burrito is back. Not only that, but it's back with the option of steak or beef. Now you can get the beef option again. The burrito, I think, was like 480 at my local Taco Bell. I had to like check twice. I thought it was like freaking time traveling back to 2018 because I haven't, I don't even remember it being this affordable. I really don't. So I had to celebrate. I've been trying to avoid fast food, as you know, lately, but I had to celebrate this momentous occasion, so I went down to Taco Bell. I picked up the grilled cheese burrito box, the the combo box thing, and it came with a chalupa supreme, a grilled cheese beef burrito, a taco, a Mountain Dew Baja Blast. It was beautiful. It, uh, it felt like the good old days. I just kind of let you know, whatever. Forget about the calories. Forget about the cholesterol. Forget about the sodium. Forget about all of it. Let's just enjoy the grilled cheese burrito for a minute. And it was glorious. It's really good to have it back, especially in its beef incarnation. And having it at a more affordable price makes it more accessible to others. So I highly recommend if you're looking to ball on a budget over at Taco Bell, grilled cheese burrito for just under $5 is a steal if you get the beef version. Uh, I think steak is like 7 bucks or something. It's outrageous. But... For just under five bucks, it's a it's a steal if you get the beef one because it's still a very substantive, large filling burrito. And so I gotta just say, what a, what a get, four eighty for a grilled cheese burrito, ba da ba ba ba, it's Taco Bell. So that's the first part of the Taco Bell thing I gotta talk about. There's a, there's a part two we gotta talk about here because. There's a, there's a YouTuber I, I love that I like to watch on and off. I'm sure many of you are familiar with him. He's a very, very, very well-known YouTuber. He's called The Deal Guy. Uh, and he's just he's just this fucking goofy suit dude who just, like, posts these videos like, here are the top ten best deals at Costco this month. And, like, here are the top five best deals at fast food restaurants for spring of 2023. And it's like, he's just such a, he's such a little goof. He's just like, here's the menu hack. What you do is you order the kid's menu and you ask for a Diet Coke to be medium. And it's still cheaper than getting the adult, all this ridiculous shit. But listen, he's got this new fast food video up and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And he, he, he lets me in. He pops out of my phone screen for me. He says, Jesse, I know the video says top 10, but I got a number 11 hack. That's just for you. Don't tell the other motherfuckers because I only want you to know about it. And I say, listen up deal guy. I'm all ears. I don't care. I don't care if I'm at work. I'm listening to you. And he tells me that, yo, uh, get the grilled or sorry, grilled, get the spicy potato taco instead of a regular taco, but add beef. It only costs 30 cents more to add beef 
to a spicy potato taco. Now, you guys know we've been talking about the spicy potato taco recently because I recently discovered it. I love it. It's a great addition to the, or it's a great staple of the Taco Bell menu that I've never really given much attention to. And I, I think for the money, it's just such a great uh, item to get. And so now I, I'm, I'm enlightened even further because I've been turned on to this idea that not only is this really affordable, excellent menu item just kind of always there and kind of awesome all the time, but you can add beef to it for 30 cents and it makes it kind of like a super meaty fuller taco. So you get two of these things, two spicy potato tacos and add beef to both of them. It's only 60 cents more for that. And uh, then you got yourself a full meal. This is a really filling taco. And so I've got to go out of my way to try this. I'm absolutely, I have every intention as, as soon as I get to a Taco Bell in the next day or two, next few days maybe, uh, giving this a go. And I'll report back on how it is. But guys, I got I to gotta scream and shout it out at the top of my lungs. Spicy potato taco, add beef for an extra 30 cents. You're borderline eating a burrito. You're just lying to yourself by calling it a taco at that point in time, man. So I'm excited for it. Grilled cheese burrito is back. I think we're in a good spot with Taco Bell this moment in time. But we all know how it goes with Taco Bell. It's good today. It's bad tomorrow. So enjoy it while you got it. Power to the bell. And let's move on to the games that I've been playing. So uh, I feel like I say this too often. I lean on this crutch too much. But you know what? I it, it, I got to be honest with you guys. Sometimes I feel, I feel a little bit of pressure. It'll be like a random Saturday. And I'll be with my girlfriend. Maybe we're grocery shopping. Maybe we're at a Disney park just trying to get some fresh air and walk around, enjoy an evening out, not being at work. And I'll get like a a sense of guilt and a sense of pressure. Like I haven't played enough video games this week and I feel like a hack if on Wednesday night I'm like, here are the games I've been playing and all I got to say is, yeah, I played a couple hours of Call of Duty. I goofed off a little bit, but I haven't been gaming all that much. So I feel arbitrary, weird sense to a pressure to sometimes push myself to game a little more so I can so I can keep up with the the you know what's going on in Xbox and being an elite gamer but I gotta be completely honest I just I don't know I, I've been busy lately you know the, the girlfriend had a birthday recently and then we got some plans this past weekend that I had to make good on trying to be a good boyfriend I promised we'd go do this and we didn't do that the other week so we gotta do it this week I'm just I'm trying to do it right you know happy life balance it's 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 how it goes you know sometimes you gotta make the sacrifices to do the things you gotta do to live a more balanced and proper life. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So this weekend, I had to kind of sacrifice gaming as much as I didn't want to. I was in the mood. I just didn't have the time. So Hi-Fi Rush, uh, I sat down and I said, you know, I only have a couple hours this week to game. I'm going to make it count. No Call of Duty, no Halo, nothing that is just a game I'm always playing in the background. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to finish Hi-Fi Rush. It's only a 10-hour game, you know? So it's pathetic that's taking me two months, but I'm going to finish it. So I sat down. I poured through the last five hours or so of the game I had. And I rolled credits and I beat it. And Hi-Fi Rush, last time we got to talk about it, what a beautiful, simple joy of a game. This game fucking rocks. It is a Jesse game top to bottom. It oozes that influence from games like Sunset Overdrive and like Jet Jet Grind Radio, Jet Set Radio, Jet Set Future, whatever version of the game you're most familiar with. Fuck you. Um, And I just, I really, really adore this game. And it's a, it's a beautiful reminder of what gaming can be when we're not all trend chasing the fucking Fortnite this or oh, the gritty, realistic, grim storytelling of a Sony first-person game. Let's all make God of War. It's just so nice when someone's like, hey, um, I have an idea for a game. It doesn't have NFTs or loot boxes or battle passes or seasonal content. Uh, it doesn't have dead children or dads, and it's not gritty. It's not mature. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, but here's the catch. It's a really unique game. It's a lot of fun to play, and I think people will enjoy it. And we just don't see that a whole lot, if it seems like, especially coming from high-profile, notable studios. So 
I, I know it's been said to death at this point. What a surprise. What a pleasant little surprise from uh, Tango Gameworks of all studios. But I, it really must be said. Hi-Fi Rush is the most pleasant, unexpected surprise in gaming for in, in, in just so long. And as someone who kind of gets their gaming bona fides growing up on Nintendo, loving 3D Mario and 3D platformers, you know, on PlayStation, my favorite games were Ratchet and Clank. On Nintendo, my favorite games were Mario games, especially the 3D ones. Um, even on Xbox, I was always looking for platforming games and third third person platforming kind of 3D games, even though Xbox has never really been the platform for that kind of content. Although we, you know, we've gotten lucky here or there. Hi-Fi Rush is just, it's just every, it's everything I love. It's, it's, crazy fun combat with just it's simple easy to pick up on it can be kind of complex and deep if you want it to be but you know it's also super accessible and just easy to pick up and mash buttons and have fun if you don't want it to be that it has platforming it has fun little abilities and unlocks and stuff that are just thrown at you throughout the game and then it has deeper unlocks and upgrades and stuff if you want to get nerdy with it but again you can kind of ignore most of that and still get through the game just fine and have a good time um, the game has really fun storytelling and pacing. It basically, the story is always rolling. And the thing I really admire about this thing, this game, one of the, one of the little things I really admire is this, like how, how they try so hard to make sure, because the game is broken up in, I think it's like 12 chapters and you know, it's like a traditional old school game where it's like you beat a chapter or a level. It's like level complete, move on to the next level. So every time you beat a level, you go back to your hideout. And this game tries really hard to make sure that every time you go back to your hideout, it's not just like some arbitrary thing. Like now you're in the volcano level, you finish the level and now you're back at your hideout. That's a thousand miles away. I don't know why that makes sense. Next level. Now it's the icy level. And then you go back to your hideout and it's like, how did you get back here? Like they try to make all that little shit tie together and make sense. And so like your hideout will change locations and the things you can do and interact with and the people in your hideout will change throughout the game. And it all ties back to kind of what's going on in the narrative. And so that like all the little gamey things like having a hideout, having a place to go back and replay levels or upgrade yourself or check in on your teammates and stuff like that, even that stuff kind of matures and changes and advances along with the levels and the story. And I just love those kinds of little touches to take a game as just as lighthearted and silly as like a, a third person action platforming game and, and, and add that kind of attention to detail. It's very, it's, uh, it's just, it's just very thoughtful. I love that thoughtfulness and uh, the narrative kind of is there as well, where the game is constantly just, there's so much humor, there's so much charm injected into it. And it's never, it's never like hand fisted. It's never overbearing. Uh, it's never too much. It's just always light breezy. I think every character in this game is likable, which is hard to find these days. Um, and it's just, it's just super fun, man. It's in, in, it's hard to say this because I feel like there aren't many good examples of this, but there is uh, an amount of, oh, you could tell this is a Japanese developed game with the, uh, you can tell there's a lot of Western influence in this game, kind of hand in hand. And man, this game just does it well. Like it's never like weird and melodramatic and kind of cringy like a lot of anime shit is, but it's also never like too serious and too Marvel cool for every, like too cool for school. Like a lot of like Western media is as well. Like it kind of is just like, again, it's, it's light, it's breezy, it's self-aware, it's fun but not to like a like a tired overdone state and also not to like a cringy out of touch state it's just the game's it knows what it it knows what it is it does what it does very very well I love how the rhythm-based stuff is there, and it's cool. It makes the game feel more powerful when you're doing, like, the quick-time events and the various um, kind of combat to the rhythm thing. But it's not so hand-fisted and forced onto you to where it's like, if you don't like rhythm games, you're not going to like this game. I, I think it's still insanely approachable. 
This game somehow manages to be a jack of all trades and a master of the traits that it's a jack off of, you know. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's, it's weird because it's, it's a lot of things and it's pretty damn good at most of what it is. You know, there are moments I don't love in this game. There are little gripes I have here and there. I think sometimes some of the timing with some of the quick time events, it feels like a little just messed up or like it's a little unforgiving. And I don't know, maybe I'm just really bad at keeping sync. I got no rhythm or something. That's very possible. But for the most part, I feel like the game, it just feels refined. It feels good outside of those few instances. The dialogue's cool. The story's fun as hell. Uh, the characters are fun as hell. The level design's fun. The platforming's fun. The combat's fun. I just had a really great time with this game. I really enjoyed it. And man, what a great get for Xbox. Obviously, this game was probably started in development in some form or fashion around the time that Bethesda was acquired by X uh, Xbox, maybe even a little bit before that. So it's not really a greenlit Xbox game, although it is a game that's probably been 90%, if not more, developed under the ownership of Xbox. So it kind of comes out being such a great get for Xbox and also a really, really promising, you know, little little idea, a little uh, tease of things to come if Xbox continues to push for this kind of stuff. Like, hey, we need small B teams within these bigger studios working on little side projects and things like Hi-Fi Rushes. Sure, maybe sometimes you get a, uh, 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 what was that? Bleeding Edge, yeah. Maybe sometimes you get like a Bleeding Edge or something that's not that hot, but sometimes you get Hi-Fi Rush and it's awesome and I don't know, man. I, I just think about like how this game's done quite well for itself by being like a shadow dropped Game Pass game, and this game also evokes a lot of what I loved about Sunset Overdrive. It's just such a fucking like punk rock, awesome game. It feels so good to play the game to the music. The energy is so high and so infectious. It's such a fucking fun game, dude. It's really really cool. And I just wonder, like, what if a uh, what if a game like Sunset Overdrive came out in the era of Game Pass? What if that was a game that came out like? 2018 2019 or something like that instead of 2014 well before game pass existed i wonder if that game would have done much much better and just i don't know it makes me sad happy for hi-fi rush because i think it really benefits from the way they dropped it and the service it came into and got to take advantage of but at the same time man i hope i hope we see more stuff like this it whether it's a hi-fi rush 2 or just more more just fun games like this you know not everything needs to be Put a gun in my hand. I'm going to avenge her goddamn death. You know, sometimes sometimes we can just have fun and have the dude with the robotic arm and the robot cat and the iPod in, 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 installed in his chest, jumping and running and swinging around the world, sla hack and slashing his guitar sword at enemy robots because it's fucking cool and it's fun. So shout out to Hi-Fi Rush. The game freaking rocks. Um, now I will be moving on to other things. I'm very conflicted with where I should go next. A lot of people are talking about Resident Evil 4, and we'll get to that later on in the show, but uh, yeah, we'll see. All right, guys, so that's it for what I've been playing this past week. Uh, let's uh, take a quick break here before we jump into the news. All righty, guys, let's jump into the news, starting off with some bleak news for E3. Unfortunately, a little bit of negative news here on the uh, 200th episode of the podcast, but I promise we get some... Uh, We'll, we'll be positive. I promise we'll end positive at least. Comments. We'll be, we can control the positivity. The news is what it is. All right. We got two stories pertaining to this, trying to merge them all into one. But from VGC, Ubisoft is officially no longer attending this year's physical E3 event. VGC understands. Last month, the Assassin's Creed publisher became the first major company to publicly comment to uh, commit to attend the revamped E3, which is due to take place in June of a traditional venue uh, at the LA Convention Center. However, in a statement issued to VGC, the company said it's now decided to quote move in a different move in a different direction and will instead be holding its own Ubisoft Forward live event on June 12th in LA, which is 
just like Microsoft and everyone else, an event that's not at E3 or part of E3, but during the week of E3, but so kind of riding on the hype of E3. They said, quote, E3 has fostered unforgettable moments across the games industry throughout the years. Uh, a spokesperson said to VGC, continuing with, while we initially intended to have an official E3 presence, we've made the subject, uh, subsequent decision to move in a different direction. We'll be holding Ubisoft Forward event on June 12th in L.A. We look forward to sharing more details very soon. E3 organizers Reed Pop did not immediately respond for comment. However, E3 2023, the flagship industry event, the first physical show in four years, is due for a run from Tuesday, June 13th, and has been taken over it has been taken over from the Entertainment Software Association by ReadPop, the media event company behind PAX, EGX, and Star Wars Celebration. Under the revamp format, the first two days of the event, the 13th and 14th of June, will be reserved exclusively for, 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 business, for business, while the remaining days will include consumer visitors. A change I think is quite good. However, Ubisoft's decision to step away from E3 2023 means that with three months to go, no major company uh, being announced as an official attendee, the fact that the company had previously committed to attending also raises serious doubt and question about the lineup for the revamp show in general. Shortly after Ubisoft's announcement, Sega and Tencent, who also don't plan, uh, announced they also don't plan to uh, participate in any official capacity, although they did not announce it together. They just both announced it, and this news article addresses both. Uh, quote, after careful consideration, we've decided not to participate in E323. Uh, as an exhibitor, Sonic publisher Sega told IGN, we look forward to sharing more information, announcements, and unannounced projects in the near future. A, Tens a Tencent spokesperson reportedly confirmed that its games publishing division level Infinite created to distract uh, negative attention towards the infamous publisher's presence. Uh, they will not be attending E3 this year. Okay. No Sony. No Nintendo. No Xbox. No Ubisoft. No Sega. Fuck you, Tencent. That's a lot. That's a lot, baby. And to, to, to clarify, they're specifically saying we're not even going to be at the show floor. We're not even going to be there with booths and demos and all this stuff to show off our games. We're just straight up not paying the money to be there as a part of this event. Here's the thing, man. We, we talk a lot about like the Sonys and the Nintendos and the Xboxes of the world and their presence at E3 because there's so much extra emphasis placed on those players because they do the big press conferences and they're kind of the massive pillars of the industry and all that. And while, yeah, it's true that Ubisoft also generally has a press conference, they're pretty habitual and uh, religious about it. It's less necessary for them to do it. It's just a thing they do. And n people would be less concerned and less doubtful of the event as a whole if a company like Ubisoft were to bow out. But the thing is, you know, for Ubisoft to be like, hey, we're not going to have our official live event at E3. We're just going to do our own thing during that week. People could be like, okay, that's cool. That's that's fine. It's understandable. But the fact that they're not even going to be on the show floor or someone as you know important as Ubisoft, it kind of shows a different story, which is, you know, outside the major players, the Nintendos and Xboxes and stuff, the fact that people like teams like Ubisoft aren't going to be there on the showroom floor with booths trying to attract visitors and all that kind of tells you that, hey, we, we made it through the past couple of years without E3 and it had no material impact on the way people engaged with, pre-ordered, purchased, played our video games. Maybe they have some kind of data, metadata showing some correlation that this E3 event is a lot of planning and time and money and effort that doesn't really result in any material difference in terms of game sales at the end of the day. 
And it's just not worth their time and attention to do it, especially in a world where there are a million events like E3 happening all the time, even though E3 is a big one. There's just a ton of these events happening all over the, all over the place. And everyone can have their own virtual event whenever they want. And players don't necessarily need hands-on demos and press coverage from this person or that person. It's so much easier for these teams to just fly out the, the, the biggest YouTube influencer or IGN or someone like that for the week and be like, play this game, write up a preview, boom. Then to just be like, yeah, we're going to pump all this money into having a specific demo ready by this deadline for E3 so the general public can come to this event and play our game and talk about it. It just it just seems to not have a material effect on these companies, and therefore they're comfortable saying, no, we don't need to be there. Now, the other correlation here maybe that you could say, especially between a company like Sega or Ubisoft, is that both these publishers don't have any big lineup really planned this year anyway, and so maybe it's just that the time and the money isn't worth it considering that they don't have much to show and play but i really just don't believe that that's the reason i think it's uh everyone's abandoned ship it would be foolish for you to stay on board kind of thing and again we talked about this ad nauseum e3 is a sentimental thing it's been a fun long-standing tradition it's not fun to watch e3 like go away and, and fail and die as it seems like we're watching it's just the reality of the situation i'm just trying to be rational and honest about kind of what we're seeing here yeah man it, i mean it, it it does suck you know for all of us who don't live in la which is the majority of people and you know and, and love video games and love the industry it, it was fun to gather around the couch around E3, order a pizza, get high, block out on your schedule these specific time blocks or, or days even to say, hey, this is going to be E3 time. We're going to watch the press conferences. We're going to get hyped about some new games. I feel a deep, deep, painful nostalgia a lot of times for those for those good years of like, man, I just I remember, man, like in high school, carving out a day in the summer, you know, you're on summer vacation, carve out a day to be like, bro, like, I'm in my room all day, and I'm watching E3. I want to watch all the games. And then, you know, the, the press conferences and the coverage are done for the day. Then you meet up with your friends. You go to the fucking Steak and Shake or the skate park or whatever, and you hang out with your buddies for the night, and you just talk about, like, oh, man, the, oh, did you see the demo for this game? And, like, oh, yeah, that game looks fucking sick. And, oh, wasn't it so funny when so-and-so came out on stage and fucked up their lines and, and said penis uh, three times real fast in the microphone because they had Tourette's or something? It's like, oh, yeah, that moment was so funny. And there's a lot of, like, eventfulness and camaraderie and fun surrounding E3. And so I don't relish that going away and us watching that slow decay of the of the scene but it really seems like along with the pandemic e3 e3 died and it's kind of just a name that's limping on at this point and the fact that no big player wants to commit to it and participate in it even ubisoft we joked about how you know if you're ubisoft maybe you care about e3 because you don't got a whole lot going for you right now and you need all the good press you can get if even like a ubisoft in, in their current state is willing to pass on something like e3 it just really shows how little value these teams these publishers these big names in the industry uh really really see how much value they really see in this event and as much as i, I don't love excitedly saying that it just is what it is, and you gotta. We just we just gotta come to terms with it. That's kind of where we're headed, and so everyone's gonna have their own little special events, their own little digital event, and their own Nintendo Direct. And most of them are probably not gonna be very good, and most of them are probably gonna be twice as long as they need to be. But some of them will be really good, and we'll get we'll still get our constant steady stream around this this time of year, this early June time frame of games, 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 games. And, you know, shortly after this, we got Summer Game Fest and all these other things. So Gamescom com comes later in the summer. So it's not like the summer 
is no longer going to be this time of like mega game releases and or game news and reveals and um, just so many fun events. Uh, it's not like that's going to go away, but it's the having it all be under this tight knit, specific, strict schedule regiment umbrella term of E3 that that is that is seemingly dying and going away, and it's uh it's sad, man. It is sad. I would I'm curious to see you know for those who get to go to E3 this year. Uh, and report on it and stuff. What does the showroom floor look like? Like, how dead is it? How small is it compared to previous years? How much l- less is there to cover and really give a shit about compared to prior years, especially pre-pandemic kind of normal years, those 2018, 2017, all that stuff, kind of what E3 is going to look like. And I- I'm sure it's going to be absolute husk of what it once was. And uh, it's no bueno, but it just is what it is, man. E3, I think it's no doubt... I would, I would not be surprised if next year we just don't see E3. Um, so I don't mean to start on such a downer note. I really don't have much more to say other than I, th- I think just past year of just getting all the news about what E3 is going to be now that it's back, who's going to be a part of it, how it's going to play out. Uh, you know, I think we've just been watching this slow march to death. And, hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they're able to have a killer show with what they do get, with the, the names they do get to sign on. And they end up attracting a lot of people who are like, you know what? Maybe we need to be back at E3 next year. Maybe this is something we got to do. I wouldn't be totally surprised if we get an E3 2024, but if between these two years, they don't pull something off, some miracle off, I don't think we're going to see E3 come back. Um, by 2025 at the absolute latest, I don't know. My, my money is not on E3 survival, although I do hope it does because I, I, I would, I would love to see those days come back where, you know, Microsoft has a press conference in the morning, and we're like, oh, fucking hell, oh, yeah, this looks awesome, this looks awesome. And then PlayStation has a press conference in the evening, and they're like, uh, uh, $3.99. Uh, and then we're just like, oh, fucking brain-melting, Xbox is so dumb, I gotta buy a PS7. You know, it's like, I I do miss those kinds of mind-melting, uh, just those moments. And you don't get that by having a bunch of disparate um, digital pre-recorded soulless live streams taking place over the course of a week. You get it rather from these in-person industry attended and live streamed and kind of off the, you know, I don't want to say off the cuff because these, these press conferences are heavily, um, you know, rehearsed and everything, but these kinds of live in person and kind of human moments that we would get from these live streams, from these, from these press conferences that we get at E3. And then, and then the ability for people to like be in these rooms and to feel and see that audience feedback and reaction. And then immediately afterwards, people get let loose on the showroom floor and get to go play these games for themselves and cover them. And we get all these extra juicy details. And it's just, I don't know, that's, that's a part of gaming fabric that I think is going to be lost without E3 because even, even though there are some other notable events, Gamescom, like um, nothing's really E3. E3 was kind of a beast unto its own, even as other competitors and events did kind of start to take some of the limelight. But anyway, let's move on from that. Um, let's talk about Playground Games. What the hell is going on with Playground Games, i got to say. So this uh, kind of unsuspecting story that we would normally put in like the mild amusing kind of section of the podcast came up this week. But I wanted to use it as a launching off point to talk about something bigger that seems to be happening here. And so let's just start, you know, let's just read at the top. Playground Games co-founder Gavin Rayburn has launched a new AAA game studio. UK studio Lighthouse Games will be based in Leamington Spa. I'm not familiar with this area, but Leamington Spa, the same town where Playground Games is currently located. Okay, I should probably know that. 
Uh, the team is currently working on a yet-to-be-announced AAA game featuring a brand-new IP. Rayburg co-founded Playground Games with uh, Trevor Williams and Ralph Fulton back in 2010. The studio went on to develop five games in the Forza Horizon series, the first of which was directed by Rayburn. He left Playground in 2022 with Williams taking over his uh, studio role. In the statement, Rayburn said, I'm delighted that former thirty that thirty former colleagues of the industry heavyweights have chosen to join me at Lighthouse. With Horizon Playground, I created the most successful one of the most successful Xbox franchises. Uh, we delivered significant commercial success year after year to massive critical acclaim following the success uh, of my time at Codemasters, leading Dirt, Grid, and F1. The DNA is now in Lighthouse. And with it, we intend to build something truly special, blah, blah, blah. Lighthouse Games is the second AAA studio to be put together by former Playground staff this year alone. In January, it was announced that some key talent behind the Forza Horizon series left Playground to form a new AAA development team called Maverick. Also based in Leamington Spa, Maverick's founding team is led by former Forza Horizon creative director Mike Brown, who's serving its creative director for as and studio head going forward. All right, and then I wrote this little excerpt just to kind of play off this and launch off from this moderately amusing story into something that I think is is a greater narrative kind of being woven before our eyes. Uh, I think what makes this story compelling, however, I wrote, is that the position now leaves that that sorry. What makes this story most compelling, however, is the position this now leaves Xbox-owned developer Playground Games. With so many core talent leaving the studio, no word on an upcoming sequel to Forza Horizon 5 on the, pardon the pun, Horizon, and a long-awaited Fable reboot in seeming development hell, it appears something is not right at, at what is no doubt one of Microsoft's top three premier developers. All right, so we gotta talk about this, guys, because that kind of what I wrote there. So here's Playground, right? Forza Horizon 5, not a huge surprise because at the time we knew, oh, well, you know, Fable's still like in the thick of development. It's probably going to be a little bit before that's out. It's not unfathomable to think that there's an A team and a B team. One's working on Fable, one's working on Forza, whatever. Forza Horizon 5, not a surprise that it existed, not a surprise it came out, not, exci- not a surprise that it was excellent, just like every Forza Horizon game is. But after Forza Horizon 5, that's when the question mark started to arise where it's like, oh, okay. So, presumably, there's a Forza Horizon 6. You know, that second team that's working on Forza all the time is working on a Forza Horizon 6. I believe it's possible. But we're at the point now where it's like, we need to see Fable. Where's the gameplay? What's the tentative release date? What's what's at least the year that we can expect Fable to come out? What's the plan? You know, you got these two very, very, very different games coming out of the same developer uh, with Forza Horizon, their bread and butter, and Fable, a game unlike anything they've ever done before. And then we get these reports that Fable's in some kind of development hell. There's some kind of soft rebooting happening within the studio. Things aren't going right. We get some additional reporting that, hey, those reports are wrong. Fable's coming along nicely. Things are okay, but now it's just not the time, blah, blah, blah. But in the midst of all that, we keep getting these these stories. So-and-so has left Forza. Uh, Sorry, so-and-so has left Playground. So-and-so has also left Playground. Uh, These guys are forming a new team. Uh, well, these guys are forming a new team. Oh, and they're taking other team, other talent from this team. Oh, and they're taking talent from Codemasters. And oh, they're taking talent from EA and all these other different elements and divisions. And so what we're running into now is um, is clearly this exodus of 
veteran talent at, at Playground Games. And listen, it happens, you know. Core people leave studios. Studios develop a culture and an identity. They move on to do different things. People who were once indelible parts of the team move on to something else while the team is is just fine without them and they're able to continue on and persist um, as, as their new incarnation, whatever. You know, it's totally possible. Playground Games is 100% fine. They'll make a Forza Horizon 6 and then Fable will also come out and everything will be fine and dandy and they'll continue to be one of the best studios out there. Totally possible, but... You've got a bunch of people leaving Playground Games right now, which is telling me that there are a bunch of people who work at Playground who are like, production of Forza has kind of slowed down, and we're working on this single-player RPG fable game, and it's not the games that we came here and that we founded this company to work on. We came here because we wanted to make racing games. And so I can't read this, you know, with Microsoft refusing to show off Fable, refusing to talk about Fable, having no information to share on it whatsoever for so very long, um, with Forza Horizon 5 being, you know, a game that's been out for well over a year now, it's a mature title, it's gotten a decent amount of DLC support, but, you know, we're about a year away or so from when we would normally start to hear about the next Forza Horizon game. I'm starting to wonder, are we seeing a situation arise where Playground is basically going about 100% into Fable, trying to salvage this game or get it together or get it off the ground or get it in a working state or whatever the case is that, you know, that it, to which we haven't seen this game yet. And are they starting to slowly abandon post on what made this studio to begin with, which is not just Forza, but racing games in general? And the only thing I can liken it to is Sony's Team Gorilla, the guys that make the Horizon games, because Horizon... Zero Dawn and Forbidden West, this this franchise they've been working on, or that's been around since 2017 now. Massive open world third person RPG action game where you fight robot dinosaurs in this weird future that looks kind of like the past, right? This team was developed or this team was founded to work on Killzone, a first person sci-fi shooting game. Nothing like Horizon. And when and when Horizon started getting into serious development, the reports were that a lot of people left. They left Guerrilla Games to go do other stuff because they wanted to make first-person shooters, and Guerrilla was no longer making a first-person shooter. So I foresee a very similar thing is happening here, but maybe to an even more extreme degree because you can make a lot more sense out of saying, yeah, we went from making first-person shooters to third-person open-world action RPG games. It's like, yeah, they're very different, but you could see how one person might be interested in both genres. In this case, it is such a night and day difference. We got a team of people who are the top dogs in the industry. I'll go ahead and say, Playground Games is the best developer in in, in existence at this point in time when it comes to making racing games. And I know it's a broad genre because there's tons of genres within racing, but I think, personally, Forza Horizon is the best racing series out there on the market today. And I think Playground Games is the best developer of racing games on the market today, or you know, in the industry today. And I think what's happening is we're starting to see a bunch of people say, hey, we're here to make racing games. You guys are making a third-person action RPG. What What is this? This isn't, this isn't racing. And I worry that in doing so, yeah, maybe Fable's great. I hope Fable's great, dude. I'm excited for Fable. I'm anxious to see what it looks like. I really hope they don't fuck it up. I really hope they're given all the proper guidance and tools and everything to make it to, to make the game right, you know, to do it right, to not put us in a situation that 343 was put in or that the initiative seems to have been put in. Like, let's do this right. 
I'm excited for Fable, but I'm worried that what they're sacrificing to make this game is the identity and the soul and the amazing team and foundation and culture that they they built with the original playground game staff and with Forza Horizon. So that's my that that's that's my rant right now. That's my concern pertaining to playground games. I I, I <laughs> sounds like a joke. I don't even blame you for freaking laugh at this point. But I I predict and I assume that this summer, this June, when Xbox does their big summer showcase, that is when we will finally get a gameplay reveal for for Fable. My guess is we will get a gameplay reveal. We will get a tease for a date. It will not be specific. It will be like 2024. And then it will probably get delayed in 2025. But we'll at least get gameplay and some kind of notion of what they're planning for this game, which is great. That's you know that's what I've been asking for for so long. I'll be happy with that, right? But man, it's like, does this? Let's say Fable comes out, and it's like Fable, yeah, it's fine, it's admirable what Playground was able to do. They went from making racing games to making this, and it's pretty cool, but it's not as good as the old Fable games. Like, what if that's the response to Fable? And then they're like, well, back to racing games we go, but then they don't have the racing team. This is a big risk what they're doing here, and I really think. This isn't a coincidence. This is a direct correlation. Forza Horizon uh, or Playground Games going in the direction of making Fable is forcing people who want to make racing games out of the studio. I, I used to be a little more naive and just think, oh, yeah, they got two big teams, one working on Forza, one working on Fable. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they have a lot of people shifting over to Fable and a lot of talent kind of putting Forza on a shelf for now while they work on Fable. Seems kind of silly to do so because Forza is such a consistent, reliable, heavy seller and high critic, uh, highly re- well-received critical darling every time it comes out. You know, you would think Microsoft would want to have this, you know, even if you're going to do Fable, maybe have Playground be two big teams alternating between Forza and Fable, whatever, however they want to do it. But at this point, with just this mass exodus of core talent, these new teams are seeing formed that are coming from Playground to make new racing games unaffiliated with this developer. Can't help but think that they're shedding they're shedding talent, you know, to make this game. And who knows? Maybe it's all worth it. You know, to go back to our, our example with a Playground or with a Guerrilla Games over on PlayStation, it worked out for them. You know. Um, Killzone uh, was never nearly as big as Horizon is. Horizon's a massive success for Sony, for PlayStation. People love that series way more than Killzone. The games do way better. Um, They generally like a whole lot more. I don't know. But the difference is Killzone was never particularly good. They didn't have a whole lot to lose. Forza Horizon's damn good. You know, you, you could be risking Forza Horizon for this Fable reboot, and that's risky. It's super risky because you got a good thing going. I don't say this because I love Xbox. I don't say this because I just happen to like Forza. I say this because I sincerely believe it. Playground Games is one of the premier developers, especially as far as Xbox's first-party lineup goes. They are so, so good at what they do. And Forza Horizon is the best racing series on the market. If I were Microsoft, I would not want to rock the boat on that at all. I would want to do whatever it takes to keep that team intact to keep that team happy and to keep those Forza Horizon games coming because that's a lot of money and a lot of goodwill towards Xbox that they need. So, I don't know, man. If there's a game, if there's a team you're going to get, you know, creative with, if there's a team you're going to be risky with, why don't you do a team that no one really has an expectation of, you know? Like uh like Compulsion 
or a team that is kind of in a purgatory state, like three for three. But, uh, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. But I'm curious to know what you guys think about all of this. Again, we are just kind of in a holding pattern because as we uh, start to turn over into April, we're about two months away from when I'm very confident we'll see Fable. But, I mean, bro, you can – for ju- just as much as I'm confident we're going to see Fable in June, um, I could 100% see a reality where this Xbox Summer Showcase comes and goes and we don't see Fable. And then I'm just like, what the f- – oh, my God. I, can already, I, I feel like we've done this podcast so many times. What the fuck? Where was Fable? <laughs> where was Contraband? Where was Perfect Dark? Where are the games? Anyway, let's move on to the next story. Let's talk about Game Pass. Something interesting happening here. So Microsoft's long-running $1 <laughs> trial offer for Game Pass has officially ended. I forgot about this, man. The offer, which had been running for a number of years, let players try out Game Pass Ultimate on PC uh, or console for one month at a dollar. After this period, players would be able to either cancel the subscription or continue to use it at the standard price of $10 or $15, depending on the tier. However... According to a statement Microsoft provided to The Verge, the trial period is no longer being offered. Xbox head of global communications, Carrie Perez, told the site, quote, We've stopped our previously our previous introductory offer for Game Pass Ultimate and for PC Game Pass by evaluating different marketing promotions for new members in the future. So, pretty cut and dry, pretty straightforward. The offer's gone. I'm sure everyone here is familiar with the uh, sign up for Game Pass for a dollar. Get a month for, you know, for a dollar or whatever, and then, you know, go on to your 10 or $15 a month from then. Yeah, I think this offer, no doubt, got many, many, many uh, uh, a player into Game Pass, no doubt. This is how they got many of those roughly 30 million subscribers was through this offer. Now, for them to be basically ending it tells us a couple things. I think I wrote down just a, a short list of of ways we can kind of kick off from here and say, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's partly, partially this or that. All right, Activision costs money. There's the first one, right? This Activision deal costs a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money in courts fighting for it, and they're confident that once they get Activision and all that, that Activision's catalog is going to bolster Game Pass and give it a lot of ex- a lot of gra- a lot of gravitas and eliminate some of that need for them to get you in the door with the enticing one dollar uh, entry level. But the thing that doesn't hold weight there is we're we're a while we're a ways off from that deal being finalized and those games coming to Game Pass. So maybe it's not that, but nonetheless, the Activision deal is long. It's belabor. They're spending a lot of time and a lot of money in court fighting this shit, and they need some way to start making game, you know, not game pass, but just their gaming division in general, a little more immediately profitable. So by not having this exploit where people can just do a dollar, create a new account, a dollar, you know, whatever, and and, and play Xbox for dirt cheap, maybe they can kind of whip things into shape, kind of get their numbers a little more, um, a little more well-rounded to be honest, because a lot of that game pass, uh, data, you know, you assume is just a lot of people exploiting this $1 offer without it with just the option for a 10 or $15 subscription, you get a lot more true data in terms of analyzing who's subscribed to game pass or not. Uh, but also they mentioned uh, that they're looking at other introductory promotional offers. So it looks like they're going to have some kind of deal in the future. Uh, it just won't be this one, but I can't imagine whatever they do next is going to be as good as this next thing to consider. Probably the biggest thing to consider is inflation. Inflation is bad all around the world right now. Um, so you can assume that maybe this has something to do with it. You know, people are hurting in the wallet right now. Microsoft's looking for ways to keep things super profitable and, 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 and generate a lot of revenue in times of economic hardship. A lot of people turn to cheap entertainment like 
video games and movies and TV. And so maybe um, their their thought is that as the economy starts to worsen, people will turn to things like Game Pass as a cheap and approachable way to get entertainment as, you know, vacations and uh, buying nice luxury things becomes less and less common and you know, in times get tough. So maybe this is a way to kind of combat inflation. It's, it makes it more tantalizing. Maybe there's a lot of attention on something like Game Pass. In a time like now where $10 a month, $15 a month is a lot of value for Game Pass uh, in a world where everything else is really expensive. And so they're going to try to capitalize on that. And also it kind of fights the inflation of, or the, the inflation issue of people exploiting the $1 deal when in reality uh, they could probably get a lot of people in the door without it. Um, the thing I'm most inclined to believe is that this has something to do with the friends and family deal rolling out. We know they've been testing this in a bunch of international markets. We suspect this will probably come to the U.S. rather soon. The family and friends deal will allow you to kind of do that, what, what was like $30 a month or so, and you get a handful of members on the same Game Pass subscription. So they know people are going to exploit the fuck out of that. You know, you and your buddies get, you know, three or four people on this family uh, deal and then you all end up paying something like five or eight dollars a month per person on game pass so it's pretty possible that they know that that's going to be exploited so they're ending this promotion in an effort to try and transition into bringing that family and friends uh, bundle deal to more markets i think that's potentially one and then yeah, then I just uh, I reiterate that thing I kind of touched on a little bit, which is just curbing that fair weather subscription count to get more accurate data, uh, the product growing on its own merit rather than just this flashy get you know get in the door quick and cheap kind of deal offer. Um, as Game Pass continues to have new games, good games, and, and for it to just be able to kind of sell itself on the value that it offers with its catalog, and less so on this like, hey, you there, a dollar gets you into Game Pass, you want to go for it, so. That, that would kind of play up a little more, I think, if the Activision deal were finalized and they could start getting to some of those games in the Game Pass. I mean, you can imagine how insanely well it would do for Xbox if that deal had been finalized last year. And then this summer, we were looking at Diablo 4 launching day one in the Game Pass. Like, what a freaking deal that would be. You could get rid of that $1 introductory offer and still watch Game Pass subscribers grow and grow and grow because of Diablo 4. So, nonetheless, we also probably expect to see that happen as Redfall and Starfield, especially Starfield, uh, come out this year. And and so that's another thing you could say is that potentially they're trying to get that out of the way because they're expecting a lot of natural growth regardless uh, once those games come out. I mean, come on, you'd be freaking stupid if you're Microsoft and you're going to have an opportunity for people to get in the door for $1 for the month and they get to play Starfield in return. Play Starfield only costs a dollar. This is, again, in this plays into inflation and letting the catalog speak for itself and all that. You got to you gotta somewhat try to make your return on investment. You know, for a game like Starfield, it's no doubt an expensive freaking game to develop. You might as well uh, not give it away for a dollar, if you know what I mean. All right. We only have one more story. Uh, no, that's wrong. We have two more stories. Uh, I forgot about this one. Okay. So this next story kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier with, with Japan. But now we're not talking about Activision Blizzard, thank God. We are talking about Sony versus Microsoft, kind of, because this is in response to that deal, but the, the, what it launches off into is a separate conversation all on its own. All right, so from VGC, a number of members of Congress have accused Sony of engaging in anti-competitive behavior in Japan as expert as at the expense of Xbox. Politico reports that Democrat Senator Maria Cantwell made this claim during a Senate Finance Committee hearing last week. 
calling on U.S. trade representatives Catherine Tai to raise an issue with Japan during trade talks. Cantwell's claim was supported by two letters, one from Republican uh, members of Congress and, and the other from six Democrats, which also called on Tai and, uh, and Commerce Senate, um, Secretary Gina Raimondo to take action. The accusations being made is that Sony deliberately makes exclusivity deals with third-party publishers that are designed to ensure Xbox doesn't gain a foothold in the Japanese market. Quote, I'm told that Sony controls a monopoly of 98% of high-end gaming market Yet Japan's government has allowed Sony to engage in blatant anti-competitive conduct through exclusive deals and payments to game publishers, Cantwell said during the hearing. Uh, a side note, when they say 98% of the high-end gaming market, they're saying that because they're deliberately excluding Nintendo from the talks. Because if you include Nintendo, Nintendo has the overwhelming majority because Nintendo is significantly bigger than both Xbox and PlayStation combined in Japan. Uh, so that is why they specify by saying high-end market because they're really trying to narrow it down to PlayStation versus Xbox and leave Nintendo out of the conversation. The corresponding Republican letter says, quote, we understand that Sony, which holds 98% of the market, pays third-party game publishers not to make their content available on Xbox and to systemically negotiates exclusivity arrangements to keep that most to keep the most popular games in Japan off of Xbox. End quote. Both letters claim that by not acting on these alleged anti-competitive practices, Japan is effectively putting a U.S. company at a disadvantage. Quote, the Japanese government's effective policy uh, of non-prosecution uh, when it comes to Sony appear to be serious barriers to U.S. exports with real impacts for Microsoft and many U.S. game developers and publishers that sell globally, but their earnings in Japan uh, depressed by these practices are depressed by these practices. Um, such policies can distort trade every bit as much as high tariffs or non-tariff barriers like discriminatory licensing practices with some results on allowing domestic incumbent to protect its market share from foreign competitors, end quote. Sony has secured a number of third-party titles in PlayStation as exclusives over the years. Uh, examples in recent years include Square Enix's partnership with Sony to get games like Final Fantasy VII Remake or the upcoming Final Fantasy XVI excluded from Xbox or Capcom Street Fighter V, which remained exclusive on PS4 and PC ever since it released back in 2016. According to Axios, the raising, the raising of this issue has... Um, been in some way influenced by Microsoft. Although the publisher can't definitively say to what extent that's the case, it does claim to have knowledge that Microsoft's governing affairs team discussed the issue with members of Congress. And we know that because, obviously, Microsoft is talking with Congress because the SEC and all this shit wants to scrutinize the deal with Activision Blizzard, blah, 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 but we won't tie it back to that. Microsoft spokesman David Cuddy also said to Axios, quote, Sony's anti-competitive tactics deserve discussion and we welcome further investigations to ensure a level playing field in the video game industry. Okay, so yeah, Sony kicks Microsoft's ass in, uh, in in that market, no doubt. Couple things to note, though. First of all, PlayStation's bigger because I think the Japanese market just takes to a Japanese company like Sony kind of naturally. I think that's just kind of part of what what what's happened here. Is that I also think that. PlayStation was there well before Xbox, so it had a long time to build its foothold. I also think PlayStation is kind of catered to and housed a lot of Japanese-centric games for a long time, going back to the PS1 for a long time, which kind of built this foundation of like, yeah, this is a console made for the Japanese market, whereas Xbox didn't really, really, really try to get serious about X, uh, about, well, Microsoft's tried a little bit with Japan back in the OG Xbox days. They tried a little bit there in the 360 days, but the 360 was, you know, 
for for as much as they did try to get some Japanese content on that console, more more than ever, you know, 360 just screamed not for Japan with it just being fucking Gears of War, Army of Two. I'm gonna put my gun up your asshole and pull the trigger. Not not a very Japanese centric platform, you know. The fucking JRPGs out the wazoo were definitely something more heavily associated with Nintendo actually during that time period. But PlayStation, nonetheless, uh, throughout history has been heavily associated with that. So I think there's a lot of naturalistic reasons why uh, PlayStation has kind of been the overwhelming dominant player in Japan. Um, you know, all competition aside, just to give Sony the benefit of the doubt a little bit before we get into this discussion. Because while I will defend those historical elements that have given PlayStation upper hand over Xbox historically, I will say, without a doubt, um, in recent years, a large reason for PlayStation's um, overwhelming success in Japan is no doubt due to really shitty um, agreements to keep content away from Xbox gamers. Absolutely. Final Fantasy VII is the one that always comes to mind because I'm still salty about it as hell. I want to play Final Fantasy VII. I want Final Fantasy VII to be the game that finally gets me into the Final Fantasy IP. I will not and cannot play that game because they won't play it, put it on the console I play on. So, fuck you, Square. Fuck you, Sony. I'm not going to give them any slack on that because it's a really, really shitty thing to do to keep games away from people. It's part of Sony's overwhelming hypocrisy as they bitch and moan about Call of Duty and Activision and all this stuff, although Xbox isn't really innocent either as they talk out of both sides of their mouth. But I, I do I do want to say I find it overwhelmingly hilarious that, uh, not to make this political, it's just I feel like it has to be said because it's just so funny. The U.S., the company that's uh, the company, the well, we are a company basically. We just look after corporations and ignore people. But the country that pats itself on the back all day, free market capitalism, that's just the market at work, you know, all day long. We, we bitch and moan about how, oh, well, the government shouldn't get involved in the in these corporations. Try to let the free market speak for itself. And then, you know, when uh, the market in Japan just happens to speak and say, hey, we like PlayStation over Xbox, suddenly the U.S. takes a offense then and says, well, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem very fair. It seems like the government in Japan needs to regulate more to uh, try and make a more of a, a fair upper hand advantage, or not upper hand advantage, but a more level playing field for American companies like Microsoft to compete in the home console sales market in Japan. It's like, well, I mean, bro, I mean, for a country that's all about the free market letting it speak for itself, you sure are obsessed with intervening when it comes to benefiting corporations, especially ones that you have financial interest in. But nonetheless, um, it, it's just funny saying Japan in this instance absolutely being the more free market system where they're just like, yeah, we don't give a shit. And this is where we can kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier in the news uh, where Japan was like, yeah, we approved the Microsoft uh, Activision deal. Uh, I mean, all this stuff gets sold digitally, so... It's not like they're going to make, you know, uh, manufacturing scarce or anything. And, you know, these games are going to be on PlayStation and whatever. Who cares? You know, they basically just approved it and they're like, whatever. <laughs> I love seeing PlayStation or uh, PlayStation. I love seeing Japan be just so laissez-faire, free market, let let the companies do what they're going to do about this whole ordeal. And then the U.S. is like, it's, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. We only have 2% of the market in Japan and Microsoft needs more. It's like, well, dude, yeah, I mean, no doubt some of that does fall on PlayStation. Absolutely. Slimy deals like trying to keep Japanese games off of Xbox definitely doesn't help Xbox uh, in Japan. But also uh, Microsoft just never doing a particularly great job getting Xbox as a brand into Japan um, also doesn't help. You know, I, Xbox has definitely made attempts throughout time on and off. I definitely think Phil Spencer cares and has done a pretty good job of trying to rectify this issue and make Xbox more of a, a part of Xbox uh, of, of J Japan's gaming scene. But 
you know, it's a brand that's been around for a long time and has been kind of seen as a laughing stock in that part of the world for a long time. You can't just rewrite 20 years of history overnight. You know, it takes time to switch this market around. So I really think what this ends up being, especially with these rumors of Microsoft whispering in Congress's ear about this whole this whole issue to begin with is really more about Xbox trying to win some brownie points by using a market like Japan to their advantage because it's a market where they're so severely handicapped and disadvantaged compared to Sony and just trying to drum up some kind of news news cycle um, regarding you know where they're not even remotely a competitive player to try and build their case as they appeal to the to the SEC and to the to the to various other regulatory bodies in an attempt to get this deal approved. So I think that's more likely what we're really seeing out of this, but I just can't help but kind of laugh at the hypocrisy as Japan continues to just be like, yeah, we don't really give a shit. Let these corporations do what they're going to do. Um, sure. PlayStation can clobber Xbox all they want. And then if Xbox in turn wants to buy Activision to be more competitive, sure. Let them do that. We don't care. We're kind of too busy. Uh, not really, wasting our government's time and effort in um you know video games something especially something as benign as like one video game company uh, uh trying to buy another video game company which doesn't affect like your your country's ability to for people to work and pay bills and you know things that matter things that maybe we should focus on instead of uh instead of just picking fights with Microsoft and so oh my god it's just Ah, oh man, would you look at that? It's been seven years. We're still talking about this deal. Oh my god. Anyway, I just wanted to I just want to give the shout out because yeah, I I feel like what we're seeing more and more and more here is that Sony are hip are hypocrites. They're just they're 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 full of shit. Microsoft are hypocrites. They're full of shit. Um, the deal is approved in Japan. Japan seems pretty like I don't give a shit about any of this. And here's the U.S. Uh, trying to impose regulation where it doesn't really benefit anyone in any of these countries uh but it it absolutely matters to these corporations so it's almost like the will of the corporations is the most important thing to the government at any given time shocking i know but uh well there you go uh but i i really do think you know xbox has a lot of potential to you know make up for some lost ground in, in the japanese market and i think they're on track to do that you know tango gameworks you guys can help Appreciate you, but you know it's up. It's up to Xbox ultimately to secure some really good deals. Um, I think they have a good relationship with Sega. They should really try to get something more out of that. Um, honestly, they should be. They they, they really <laughs> should have been trying to work harder to get some Japanese developers or some Japanese publisher or whatever under their belt instead of just Activision. But also at the end of the day, you know, from a pure number standpoint, getting Activision is a huge boon for Xbox globally. That will make them so much money in the long run. Um, Japanese market not really that important. I don't think Xbox cares all that much. When we, you know, last last note before we move on, when we talk about Xbox historically struggling in Japan, you know, it's a market we want to see them try harder in because we want those games on Xbox and we want that market to be able to enjoy Xbox. And of course, you know, it's an opportunity to make more money for Microsoft. But at the end of the day, Japan's market is so small and insignificant in the grand scheme of the gaming industry that. I don't think, you know, if Microsoft, if it, if it mattered that much, Microsoft would have tried 10 times harder 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know? And we've only seen PlayStation invest deeper and deeper and further and further into Western markets as time has gone on because I think even Sony, a Japanese company, kind of concedes that, like, yeah, Europe and North America matter a lot more than Japan because, not because the people matter more, but because 
there's a lot more people over there and there's a lot more money to be made and we care about chasing that dollar a lot more than in the Japanese market. So that's also a part of this. So keep that keep that context in mind. But nonetheless, I thought that was just a really interesting story. It's fun to hear a little bit about the thinking of uh, you know Japanese regulators and kind of that that story between these two companies in that market as opposed to just constantly saying the British people won't know how Call of Duty on PlayStation is going to be compromised. Oh my god. Simply put, no one gives a shit. Go back to playing Hogwarts Legacy, you little muggles. Okay? Leave Call of Duty to the big boys, okay? It's for the US. We kill people for fun here. All the time. It's our game. Stay away. Alright, last story of the week. Fun one. Lighthearted one. Let's talk about Lego. And talk about driving at the same goddamn time. VGC! Relays that LEGO and 2K Games have officially announced their new driving game, LEGO 2K Drive, which will release on May 19th. It's always fun when you get a game announcement with a gameplay reveal trailer, and it's coming out soon. Isn't that so nice when that happens? The title is coming to Xbox One, Series S, Series X, PC via Steam and Epic Game Store, as well as other consoles. Described as an open-world game with single and multiplayer that lets players build any vehicle they'd like. At first revealed by VGC last year, the game is in development by WWE 2K developer and NBA 2K developer Visual Concepts. As part of a new line of LEGO sports games that 2K has in the works. According to 2K's announcement, LEGO 2K Drive will feature a wide open world of different biomes, races, minigames, challenges, and collectibles. Players can build vehicles with over a thousand unique LEGO pieces or choose ready-made LEGO or ready-made ones from LEGO City, Creator, Speed Champions, and more. These are various LEGO brands that exist. Finally, 2K Drive will feature competitive multiplayer and co-op experiences. Two-player split screen will be available alongside online multiplayer. Quote with the history of Lego brands uh, that the Lego brand holds, we were very conscious of the responsibility we had to, with both our partners of uh, and longtime fans of Halo. Holy fuck, let's try it again. With the history the Lego brand holds, we were very conscious of our responsibility we had to both our partners and longtime fans of Lego play, while still thinking about how we can bring something new and unique to a Lego title, said Greg, Tom Greg Thomas, president of Visual Concepts. For Lego 2K Drive, we assembled the best-in-class team of game makers who poured their hearts in unforgettable experience into an unforgettable experience, and we cannot wait to share with fans. All right, to this, I just want to say, to set, kind of set up the conversation, Lego Skywalker Saga, uh, the Star Wars game that came out, Last year was long, long, long in development. Now, that game is made by Traveler's Tale, the developer who's long made 99% of the Lego games. Um, all these Lego Star Wars, Lego Disney this, Lego Marvel that, Lego Batman this, Lego Hobbit and Lord of the Rings that, Lego Pirates, all these games, Indiana Jones. Traveler's Tale. These guys are the guys that make them, and they've all been published by WB. So for a long, long time, anything you've played Lego has basically been WB published and Traveler's Tale developed. But despite their pretty consistent stream for nearly 20 years of just churning out Lego game seemingly year after year, sometimes more than once a year, their most recent game, Star Wars Lego Skywalker Saga, um, was in development for a long-ass time. Very expensive game to make, long development, multiple delays, Star Wars license is not cheap. A very, very expensive license to work with. And you got to wonder if Lego is looking at kind of the relationship they have that's been almost exclusively with WB and Traveler's Tale for so long that they might be going, listen, we work with a lot of licenses these days, especially with Disney. And these licenses are expensive. They cost Lego a lot of money to use. And then we rely solely on like one part, one development and one publishing partner. 
And it's just not a very good way to diversify your portfolio and ensure that your business is healthy and diverse. So I think what's happening here is Lego has been scouring the market saying, we like, we like Traverse Tale, we like WB, we like what they do, and we'll continue to work with them. But we're looking for other players we can get in bed with. And that's where 2K comes up, and this game kind of came into the uh, it came to be known. So I wonder if Legos may be hurting or trying to just diversify their brand in order to stay resilient and stay on top um, as they you know as they continue to rely on popular IP to kind of sell Lego as opposed to really cool Lego games. So I think this has a lot to do with that. But man, this game looks so badass. I watched the trailer for it and it looks freaking awesome. It looks so so good. In fact, it looks kind of like the Forza Horizon 4 Lego DLC. It looks kind of like any other Lego game we've seen, like the, the, the art style, the graphic style, very impressive looking. Um, and what's notable is, you know, visual concepts. This is a this is a developer that makes wrestling games and basketball games like this is they don't make Lego. They don't make cartoony things. They don't make um, racing. So this is all new for them in all those respects. So tons and tons of untreaded territory for this developer. I, I'll say where, where there is similarity is that, you know, these WWE and NBA games have lots of building and customization mechanics built into them. I know a lot of what's fun about these games is creating your own basketball or wrestling star and kind of all the camaraderie and fun that can come out of the, the creative and building aspects of those games. And even though it's not 100% what Lego is about, you know, because Lego it's not about customizing your Lego, it's about building show Legos. I think the spirit is somewhat there if you want to kind of, you know, pull at straws to build an argument here. But no doubt, this kind of in the way uh, playground games shifting from Forza to Fable is just a big departure. This is, for visual concepts, kind of one of those situations where they're moving from wrestling and basketball to Lego driving. And it's not just Lego driving, because if you've seen the trailer, you know, this game offers tons and tons of crazy cool shit. Like we got Legos transforming into boats and planes on the fly and just running around this open world. It's got the humor and the charm of classic Lego. I love this, man. I love Lego so much. And I like me some Lego Batman and Lego Star Wars and shit like that. Like I've had fun with those games, but I miss Lego just having its own kind of unique identity, IP-less brand. Um, you know, and seeing this game kind of embrace that is, is very tantalizing to me. And I just gotta be honest, like, this is a game I'm, I'm pretty interested in. Like, I don't, you know, who, who knows what will be in mid-May. I'll probably be balls deep in Redfall by that point. But I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to play this game, whether it's, you know, the day it releases or maybe a little bit down the line. This is a game that's got my attention. It's got the charm and the kind of slowed down animation speed that Lego has uh, in this really fun world where everything looks crazy and destructible and customizable. It looks goofy. It looks fun as hell. It's kind of that lighthearted kind of like licensed kitty fun thing I'm always asking for. It's like, when when do we move away from the like dead kids and grim fathers running around with the serious stories all the time and get some of that fun shit? Like, remember when games used to be like, you know, remember developer Pandemic who made like freaking Destroy All Humans and Mercenaries and games like that that are just wacky and fun and stupid? And even when they made licensed stuff like Star Wars Battlefront, it was just wacky and fun and stupid. Like, that's the kind of thing, and that's that's one of my favorite developers that we don't have anymore that I just I, I, I miss all the time. Actually, shout out to them. A lot of those guys actually went on to go work at 343 and work on Halo 4, believe it or not. But that's one of those defunct studios that I always lament and miss from the, especially like the Xbox OG era into like the 360 earlier years, where it's like they had so, there's so much fun and so much heart and so much creativity and zaniness and just 
pure embracement, embracing of what video games can be, how creative and wacky and interactive they can be, that I feel like we just we lose so much in gaming because now everything wants a fucking BAFTA award. Everything wants a 10 out of 10 IGN. They want some fucking guy who spends all of his time on Twitter blocking people who uh, who mention moderately conservative ideas to go to hell while they brag and brag and brag about how The Last of Us Part Two is uh, is is groundbreaking game for for you know diverse speaking audiences across the world. Like whatever the fuck it is that the games industry is like is like fart sniffing over at any given time. You know I'm constantly like yeah God of War is cool but. Remember when you could, like, take a rocket launcher and, like, blow shit up and, like, a guy with a racist Russian accent would say something stupid and ridiculous and fun? Like, remember when games did that? You know, and and (laughs) not to say that this Lego game has uh, my favorite racist Russian uh, uh, communist blowing up buildings or anything but the just watching this like lego skeleton driving around and turning their their tank into a hamburger mobile and then interacting with the freaking newscaster of lego city and then you, you drive through like the freaking candy lane and all that stuff and just watching the game be absolutely mind-numbingly just what the fuck is um it's so it just it's so exciting it's so fun and it reminds me of such a happy simple time when you play the game because you're like this game looks freaking crazy and ridiculous and fun and wacky, and I think I will have a lot of fun dicking around in this game. And I, I'm kind of, you know, in, in in a in a year where the games I have to look forward to the most are all really gritty, mature, serious games like Starfield and Redfall. Um, I'm glad that there's something like this as well on the horizon where I can be like, ooh, Lego, you know, two, Lego 2K Drive. That looks ridiculous and fun. I'm watching this guy drive a fucking spaceship into Lego City, crash into a building, a cop goes spinning and his hat flies off, and then a monkey skeleton's like, what's up, waving his arms around like Fortnite, but it's not cringy. And I'm like, I want that game. These dolphins are dancing around. This 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 boat is flying through the is flying through the water. And I'm thinking all to myself, man, the guys that make wrestling games are making this? Why does it look so cool? Why is there a chicken mobile? Why is the guy with the freaking mustache being all funny on the TV and they're pushing golf balls around in their in their sports cars? Like I I want this game. And uh that's uh, that's all there is. Like normally this is this would be somewhat of a mild amusing story, right? Oh, there's a new Lego game, here's what it is, but I'm just so ecstatic that there is creativity and zaniness and fun and originality being injected into the games industry, even if it is technically tied to an IP with Lego itself technically being an IP. Um, but, you know, just just to see there be this creative use of, of, of game design has me excited, man. Like, this is a racing game in... In in the slightest sense of the, of the term, right? Because yeah, I guess you're in vehicles, driving around and racing around. But man, you're doing anything but having serious, you know, heartbeat racing races. Or, you know, what, what, poor choice of words, but you you get what I mean. Like it's just this, this this game looks absolutely absurd, and I just I just miss this stuff. You know, the closest thing we had to this coming out this year, aside from this that I can think of off the top of my hand, is uh, Minecraft Legends, and even even that. Even that's just a little bit too buttoned up for me. Even Minecraft has gotten to a point where it's like, listen, I love Minecraft. I think Minecraft's a cool IP. I really love Minecraft Dungeons, and I think Minecraft Legends looks like a lot of fun. But even that's a little bit too uh, conservative, which is how insanely over-the-top and goofy and wacky and destructible and fun and silly it can be. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for this LEGO game to embrace that. For it to not have to be a Star Wars story. For it to not have to tell the Guardians of the Galaxy story. For it to just be like, nah, it's Legos. 
and the skeletons and the monkeys and the police officers are all driving around in the hamburger car and the dolphins are jumping out of the water and the cow goes moo and then they're aliens invading for no reason. And all of this makes sense in this universe because it's about fun and not about uh, a father trying to avenge his dead daughter or some shit like that. So shout out to Lego 2K Drive. Uh, shout out to me rambling, saying the same thing essentially for 15 minutes in, in, on repeat. But this kind of stuff gets me excited about the future of gaming. And, and uh, between this and Hi-Fi Rush, it's like, come on, man. Bring on the fun shit. Bring on the fun shit. And by fun shit, I don't mean a cartoon aesthetic on some fucking free-to-play multiplayer game. I'm not talking about Fortnite. I'm not talking about hyenas. I'm talking about LEGO 2K Drive, baby. Let's make it happen. May 19th. What's up? All right, that's going to do it for all of our big news stories this week, guys. Let's round out the show real quick with the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, which we got a handful of, and then we'll get into the juicy 15-comment-long section, the comment section, which I can't wait to get into, celebrating 200 episodes of Xbox on. What's up, baby? How you been? First up, and these all come from VGC because, it's, again, it's the only website I have access to on my internet. Uh, Xbox Series X Diablo 4 Edition. Apparently, there's you know, it's leaking online. Bill Bill Kuhn, Kuhn? I almost say that other word. I almost said something that's technically offensive and I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. According to this reliable leaker online, a special edition console for Diablo 4 has uh, is being leaked and will come out alongside the game on June 6th. The console is supposed to retail for $559, which is 60 bucks more than the Xbox Series X costs, which means you're probably paying for the console and the game. No, duh. But um, uh, it suggests that it would come with a copy of Diablo 4 and Probably a a special Xbox Series X, maybe that has a Diablo skin on it, or at the very least, you know, the console and the game together. So some kind of bundle deal there. Cool, cool. Next up, Microsoft has revealed two new colors for the Xbox Elite Series 2 wireless controllers, a vibrant red and blue version of the controller, now available for pre-order for 140 US and will be available April 11th. Next up, VGC reports the remake of Resident Evil 4 has enjoyed the second best launch in the series. Uh, history, according to Capcom. The publisher said that the game sold over 3 million units in just two days on the market, making it the second fastest game in the series to hit that milestone. The only other game to sell faster was 2012's Resident Evil 6, which shipped 4.5 million copies in two days. The company record, which lasted until Monster Hunter World launched, was 6 million units back in 2018 in just two days. In comparison, the other most recent Resident Evil game, Village, shipped 3 million units in 4 days, as did Resident Evil 2 Remake. So, Resident Evil 4 Remake is enjoying a very successful launch. I'm very, very, very tempted to buy this game right now, but trying to play some other things first. Although, I think we'll circle back to this game because there are some comments pertaining to it. So, Resident Evil 4, I know people are really loving that. It's apparently just just the perfect remastering of a game that people already uh, regarded as perfect. So, I'm glad to see people absolutely loving that. Uh, next up, Daedalic Entertainment and Nacon have announced a, that on May 25th, Lord of the Rings Gollum will finally release. The game will be on Xbox One, S, X, PC, and will hit stores this spring. All right. Next up, Atari has entered an agreement to acquire a retro remaster specialist, Night Dive Studios. The deal, which is expected to be complete in April, will see Atari acquire for $10 million uh, in cash and hold and will be held in Atari shares. Night Dive was founded in 2012 by former Sony Online Entertainment uh, artists Steven and Alex Kick after 
Steven bought an old copy of a System Shock 2 and realized that in 99 the game didn't work on his computer. Recent Night Dive posts have included Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, Turok 2, Seeds of Evil, Forsaken Remastered, Doom 64, Quake, Shadow Man Remastered, Power Slave uh, Exhumed, and System Shock Enhanced Edition. The team is currently working on a remaster of System Shock 2, Rise of the Triad, and SIN. Alrighty, next up. It appears the first in-game screenshots for Avatar Frontiers of Pandora has leaked. Twitter user ScriptLeaksR6, who usually leaks upcoming content in Ubisoft Rainbow Six series, has now tweeted an image from the publisher's upcoming Avatar game. VGC understands that the image is authentic. The screen seemingly confirms that the game will primarily be first-person shooter and will show players firing a giant mech. That sounds very enticing. I was already pretty excited for this game, and now knowing that it's first-person and you get to play in a mech makes me uber excited. Uh, but the leaker also says that they will post gameplay soon, so we'll have to see. But the photos have already been pulled from the internet so you know you gotta search a little bit to find them the release for this game was originally supposed to be last fall in conjunction with the sequel movie avatar the way of water coming to theaters however ubisoft announced in july of last year the game would be delayed and would now come out in the fiscal year beginning april 2023 which means beginning basically in the next week we have about a year or so in which it could release so you know as early as this fall, as late as next spring, expect the game to come out. My expectation is in June at their E3 event, they will announce it for a October, November release date, and then it might get delayed until early 2024. That is my guess, but we'll have to wait and see. All right, next up, Warner Bros. and Player First Games have announced that Multiverses, the open beta, will officially go offline for 90 days. Uh, in a message released this past week, Player First Games co-founder and game director Tony Hun. Hun? Uh, said that the studio plans to bring the game back in early 2024 in its official release capacity. Okay. Next up, we got a few more. Wow, I, I got a lot. I didn't realize how many of these I put in here. Holy shit, man. We could do a whole new story on these. VGC reports Sega officially announced Sonic Origins Plus Edition for June 23rd release. Sonic Plus uh, Origins Plus will be available in a all-in-one bundle, and for the first time, the game will be available for physical purchase, not just download. It will also feature 12 Game Gear Sonic titles, playable Knuckles and Sonic CD for the first time ever. Amy Rose is a playable character in Sonic 1, 2, 3, and Knuckles and CD for the first time ever. This pack also includes previously released add-on content, Extreme Missions, Mirror Mode, new characters, animations, and additional background mu uh, music. The upgrade can be had for only $10 for people who already own Sonic Origins, but as a complete package bundle for those who don't own it, it'll run you $40 US, physical or digital. Okay. Next up, Ubisoft has appointed game designer Katie Scott as VP of Editorial based in Vancouver. Scott was the latest addition to Ubisoft's Global Creative Office, which launched in October 2022. But in her new role, Scott will be uh, responsible for ensuring alignment between Ubisoft's world, production team, and overall editorial strategy. Back in the day, she worked on Gears of War when she was at Xbox's team, The Coalition. And then she worked on FIFA with EA for a little while before moving on to Ubisoft. <clears throat> and finally, lastly, here we go. VGC reports prominent video game writer Chris Avalon has settled a lawsuit against two women who found pub who, who uh, publicly accused him of sexual misconduct and claimed he's been awarded a seven-figure payment. Avalon, who has previously worked on games like Respawn's Jedi Fallen Order, was accused <clears throat> in a series of June 2020 Twitter posts by the women as being an abusive, uh, abrasive, conniving sexual predator after allegations arose multiple developers cut ties with the writer notably dying light 2 studio techland who laid him off a year later avalon 
announced he had taken legal action accused the two uh, uh, towards the two women and accusing them of libel. Nearly two years later on, the case has been settled. This past weekend, his personal blog, he claimed that he, uh, the case had been dismissed with prejudice and he was to receive a seven-figure payment, which includes his attorney fees. The two women behind the original allegations, Carissa Barrows and Kelly Ray Bristol, have also released joint statements complaining to the, or claiming to the public their statement had originally been misinterpreted. Alrighty, so that's going to do for all of our news this week, you guys. Let's wrap it up, let's put a little bow on it, and let's move on to the final and best segment of the podcast. This is the comments. All right, you guys, you know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast or at Xbox on podcast or whatever. You click on the latest episode of the podcast, you drop a comment. That means for this week, if you want to leave a comment, you're going to click on episode 200, the 200th episode of Xbox on. You can say anything you want in these uh, in these comments. You can say, Jesse, I can't believe they've let you, free market capitalism, you want to talk about a government that hasn't regulated 200 episodes of this abomination of a podcast. You piece of shit, they ought to take this thing off the air, they ought to throw it into a lockbox and drowning in the ocean no one should ever hear this abomination of a podcast i'd be like man for you to be so heated would mean that you've been listening to the podcast and for that i love you and i appreciate you thank you so much for writing in but you could also be a super nice guy you should say jesse roses are red violets are blue if this was an xbox podcast i'd listen to you and i'd say that's so sweet so cute valentine's day is over but you get me all wet and tingly and i'd, I'd read your comment on the on the air no one wrote in either of those two comments but there are other options it's just it's not a binary you can write in lots of different comments and so we have a lot of that in fact so many of you guys were so gracious as to write in uh, in celebration of the 200th episode of the podcast and a lot of congrats a lot of different questions comments anecdotes and so you know in celebration of this of this milestone we're going to read all the comments we had two at the top of the show already and now we got 15 more to go through so you know if you're not a big comments guy feel free to tune out the news is over the xbox uh, rambling is over but if you're a real xbox on guy you know this is what it's all about this is what we're here for the incoherent stupid comments talking about nonsense we go from halo to taco bell from xbox to playstation from yes to no from red to blue all the conversations, you know, we're going to talk about the whole gamut of the conversation spectrum. We're going to talk about that new Fallout Boy record. It's pretty damn good. I know you're interested in it. Come on, baby. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, again, I just want to say thank you to you guys. 200 episodes, something I would not ever have committed to if it weren't for the fact that there were people on the other end letting me know, hey, we're listening. Hey, we enjoy the show. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. I appreciate when you guys hold me honest and, you know, give me shit for things I say that you don't agree with. I appreciate when you can test me, when you give your side of the, uh, your, your opinion, your perspective on the matter. I appreciate it. It adds a lot more texture layer of depth and, uh, in the, in character to the podcast. It means a lot to me. And I also appreciate it when you guys just write in and tell me some cool shit. When you tell me about some crazy thing your kids are doing, you know, some of you guys got kids who are doing like fucking jumping jacks. And two years ago when the podcast started, they were too, they were too little and dumb to do jumping jacks. So the fact that in 200 episodes of Xbox on your kids went from shit in their pants to doing jumping jacks. I like to think I made some of that possible. I don't know. Let's get into the comments, guys. Starting off with none other than Sam Torres, who, uh, if you don't know, um, has a massive penis. Actually, did he, we already, no, we didn't read this one already. Did we read this one already? We did read this one already. So Sam Torres, you're not getting double read. I appreciate you writing in. Don't know why I had your comment posted twice here, but thank you so much for writing in. God bless you. God bless America. And let's move on to our next comment, which is Compassionate Choice LLC, who also writes in congratulating us on 200 episodes of Xbox On. I promise only a couple of these are about 
200 episodes. Then we move into other comments. He says, congrats on 200 episodes of this nonsensical rambling. Seriously, though, this is the only Xbox podcast I can stand listening to on account of all the other Xbox podcasts are dumb. No, he doesn't say it. He says, seriously, though, this is the only Xbox podcast I can stand listening to. Everyone else is so cringe and takes it all way too serious. I haven't played the old Xbox since beating Hogwarts Legacy. In fact, I've been cheating on it and playing a, on playing WoW Classic on my PC. Does that make me a bad boy? Absolutely. And I've been going to Taco Bell religiously, getting the potato tacos. Ooh, try adding beef for 30 cents. Grilled cheese burritos and the chicken avocado verde burrito thingy. Does that count as repentance? Yes. Listen, man, play the games you want to play. First of all, let me nitpick your line by line. Thank you for the congratulations. Um, kindly disagree. I think there are some excellent Xbox podcasts out there. You should try to give some other ones a try, man. There's some good ones. Try giving out you know, Defining Duke. Good shit. Xbox 2. I've never listened to it, but I really like Jez Corden, so I assume it's good. Anyway, um, no, man, you're good. You're good. Playing World of Warcraft Classic, you got you to gotta do what feels good. That's the thing about gaming. And we got another comment. I think Arctic Chief gets into it. It's It really kind of gets to the core of this issue. Um, and I'm excited to get into that question and talk about it some, some more. So bear with me. But uh, you got to – It's there are times, you know, there are times like kind of like what I did this week where I buckled down and I said, the only thing I'm allowed to do is play Hi-Fi Rush until I roll credits because I want to play that game to completion and I don't want to get distracted by Call of Duty for a hundredth time. And sometimes you got to buckle down and do it, right? But sometimes you gotta remember, games is about having fun, boy. Games are about having fun, and if you you know if playing World of Warcraft Classic in this moment in time is gonna make you happy, make you have a good time, give you a nice little endorphin rush, but it means sacrificing the time you're supposed to be spending with Hogwarts Legacy. Who gives a shit? Do do what makes you happy. Follow the fun. Enjoy your life. Uh, spoiler alert: you're gonna die one day. So I highly recommend you enjoy uh, life before that happens. Uh, not to be morbid. Not to be uh, not to be, you know, twisted or anything, but, you know, enjoy your life, man. Play some World of Warcraft Classic. Play some RuneScape Classic, too. That That's good shit. And enjoy your Taco Bell. Don't forget to add beef to that taco. Okay. Wes H. writes in and says, Jesse, I probably wouldn't listen to this podcast if you were some sort of professional or Xbox insider. Well, joke's on you. I've been working at uh, The Verge for 2,000 years, and uh, I have the scoop on Phil Spencer's uh, personal life. I actually happen to know what brand of toothpaste he prefers, and you would not believe it. It actually is the uh, dollar store brand. It's disgusting. Uh, it's affected his dental hygiene for years and years and years, which is why you never see uh, Phil Spencer at the dentist, not even once in any of the Xbox um, conferences they do. There's a good reason why he's never in a, dent a dentist chair. It's because his, uh, yeah, his toothpaste brand is just no bueno. But you said the fact that your normal dude who cares about gaming and fast food and whatever else is, uh, makes, is what makes this podcast so welcoming and easygoing. Thanks for doing this for 200 episodes. Um, Stop there for a second. Appreciate that, Wes. That that's sincere, and I and genuinely thank you. Um, I'm glad. Hey, I'm glad there's a market of people who want to listen to an Xbox podcast where they don't actually learn anything; they just feel entertained. So, thank you. Appreciate it. Genuinely. You said. Secondly, getting a fortune. Here we go. I needed someone to start this conversation. We're talking about fortune cookies. We brought it up last week. I asked, "Who the hell is eating these things?" I know I am, but I feel like no one else ever is. And now you, you get into the core of the uh, of the issue here. You said, "Secondly, getting the fortune cookies. It's always a good time. Not only have I read aloud every single fortune I've ever gotten, but whoever I'm with always proceeds to read me theirs. Talk about party starters. Tastes horrible though. Um, no, uh, Wes. I think that is uh, all there is to say about." fortune cookies quite honestly it's exactly right they don't taste good although i will say i've eaten so many of them over the years that i feel like it's like a good bad 
where like I know I don't like the taste, but I kind of like eating it at the same time. But um, yeah, they're not particularly good. But it is you're right. It's it's fun. It's like you know, it's like you, you got the fortune cookie. You're like. You have a small penis and everyone hates you. And then you flip it around. It's like 18, 21, 36, 4, and 8. And you're like, okay, cool. And someone's like, oh, you got that one? I got the one that says um, um, everyone you ever loved hates you and you were uh, you were a mistake. Your parents said so. And you're like, oh, cool. What are your lotto numbers? It's like, it doesn't matter. I don't you know, I don't want to play the lottery. So it's always fun. It is a conversation starter. It is fun to compare to compare uh, fortunes, I like that they're always worded in such a way that it, it feels like it's applicable to, to everyone, but at the same time, it's, it's just some placebo psychological effect. But yeah, shout out to the fortune cookie. It is, it's, it's, the, it's the fun communal aspect of eating Chinese takeout. Tim R. writes in next and says, I 100% eat the fortune cookie. I know it's not very sweet. It has a little bit of sweetness to it, right? Uh, but it's kind of a palate cleanser and a nice way to wrap up a meal. Enjoy them as long as they're not stale. That is true. It is nice, a nice little palate cleanser after you eat something with so much uh, so much sodium. <laughs> I would never pay for one, especially outside the restaurant, though. So maybe it's more of an experience than anything else, like shaved ice at the rodeo. Uh, I got to be honest. I've never been to a rodeo. I meant to. I used to have a friend that did barrel racing, and I never was a good friend and supported her by going out to see her. Um, so shame on me, but... I always meant to do that, so maybe I would have, maybe if I had been a good friend and gone out and seen my friend do barrel racing um, all throughout the many, many years she asked me to come see her do that, maybe I would have known that shaved ice is a staple of going to the rodeo, but I never went, so I never learned that. So I, I'm i just now being told that shaved ice is a thing you do. You know, Cracker Jacks at the baseball game, shaved ice at the rodeo, fortune cookies at the Chinese restaurant. Uh, pass and go and collecting two hundred dollars. These are just these are just the the givens of life, you know. Life or life, death, taxes, and fortune cookies after a good Chinese meal. I love it. Tim R, thank you for writing in. I agree. I like the palate cleansing thing because you're right. There is something that's kind of like neutral about eating. It's like eating a little bit of cardboard, right? It's like okay, now I don't taste all the fucking duck sauce or freaking sweet and sour, or whatever the hell it is in my mouth. I just taste cardboard. It's nice and neutral. All right, Arctic Chief. Arctic Chief wrote in twice this week because he's twice the man you'll ever be, and I don't know who I'm referring to when I say that, but he wrote in twice, and for some reason, I put his comments in reverse, so we're going to read his second comment first, his first comment later on in the, in the comments section, and I don't think anyone really cares I'm telling you this, but I'm telling you it nonetheless because I want you to have an understanding of why I do what I do, because one day when you're older, you'll understand why. I 100% agree. Oh, sorry, he says... I'd 100% agree with everyone here too. I love listening to the podcast because you're honest about it. Not always picking Team Green because you're an Xbox on. You're giving your opinions about things, whether they're pro Xbox or not. I enjoy that. I also enjoy other banter about food and movies we get to talk about. Now I forgot to mention some things about the book I wrote earlier. So, I'm pretty excited for Starfield. I still play Skyrim to this day, but I play put way too many hours into it, but I'm proud of them all. I wanted you to know that my daughter is currently obsessed with Sonic and Tails. I've watched Sonic 2, the movie, every day for a month. I'd rather not. Uh, Sorry. I've watched Sonic 2, the movie, every day for a month, I'd say. Not just once a day, either. Credits roll. She rewinds. The damn thing gets started. The whole whole movie's memorized. Fortune cookies? Hell yeah. Everyone in my family goes for those after their food. So overwhelming majority of people are saying yes to the fortune cookies. That's a very important Intel. I'm probably going to sell this data for money just so you guys know. So don't be surprised if you're scrolling on your iPhone, you see an ad for fortune cookies, 
yes, the government's listening to you, and I am selling your information, so fuck you. You didn't even realize what I was doing. But RT Chief, thank you for writing in part one and two. Part two of two, but reading it as part one. I think we'll you're, you're touching on something that's in your other comment that we're going to get into, which is this conversation of you just need to play what feels good in the moment. Enjoy your life. I promise you we will all die one day, so enjoy it. Starfield, you probably play a lot. Skyrim, you're still playing it more than 10 years later, but if it feels good, why wouldn't you? To your daughter, shout out. You're raising her right. She's a good kid. Think about it like this. There are kids that exist in this world who want to watch Coco Melon all day, every day. You might not love, and you're, hey, you're not shit talking it, so I, you know, all due respect. You're not saying anything bad. You're just stating facts. You're watching Sonic 2 all day, every day because she keeps watching it over and over again. There are kids in this world who want to watch Coco Melon all day, every day, Baby Shark, telling lies, all that shit. And those parents, the fact that they have brains not blown out of their skulls is a miracle. So what you need to do is thank the dear Lord that your daughter's watching Sonic 2 every day on endless repeat and not that atrocious, horrible CGI monstrosity. Blessings can come in disguise. I think you know what this is. You're also raising her right, so there's a, probably a good chance your daughter's going to go on to like cure cancer or something because they say there's a direct correlation between people who grow up really into Sonic the Hedgehog and people who go on to do greatness. If I'm not mistaken, Gandhi always said, I don't prefer technology, but when I do, Sonic 2 on the second Genesis is my is, is goaded. Let's LFG boys, something like that. That was one of his quotes. But anyway, uh, thank you for writing in. Arctic Chief, you're awesome. You have one of the, uh, one of the cooler... YouTube pictures, which means, you know, your profile picture is cool. You got the freaking sword, you're a chief, you're a knight, you're master chief, but you're also shovel knight or link or something. I don't know. Looks badass. Let's talk about Wolong Fallen Dynasty, the OG commenter, the one who started all, Dead Captain James, who in fact is neither dead nor captain. I have, I fact checked this. Says, I finally finished Wolong Fallen Dynasty twice. The game is amazing, in my honest opinion. It's the most fun I've had playing a game since Elden Ring. Highly recommend anyone who likes melee games at least try it. Dead Captain James, thank you for writing in about this because I absolutely, without a doubt, 100%, I think, forgot to mention this the week after Wolong Fallen Dynasty came out, but I played this game. First of all, glad to see you're loving it. Uh, good recommendation. Uh, as someone who doesn't have experience with Souls-like games or Elden Ring, I think you're right. This is a game that People should absolutely give it a try. Not only because it's super accessible because it's on Game Pass, but because I think this game being a little more fast-paced and everything makes it a little more accessible to people who aren't entirely enveloped in this genre. Might be a little more, um, a little more palatable for people who are newer to these kinds of games. So, uh, good recommendation. I, I agree. I, I I played this game uh, the week it came out. I downloaded it. I was like, I, I'm hell-bent on trying to find one of these games that I can connect with. And I gotta be honest, I played the first, like, 30 minutes of the game, and I was like, bro, I think I think they finally cracked it. I think I finally found one of these, like, Neo Souls-like games that I like. Like, Wolong is pretty good. It feels so good. I uh, played it for 30 minutes. I'm going through, like, the tutorials and the opening scenes of the game. Really loving it. The combat is awesome. The melee combat is super good. The movement feels really good. Being able to jump around little platforms and perch on things and jump down and the, the comp. I like. I liked what I played for thirty minutes. Then you come into your first boss encounter. Now, first thing that happened is I died like ten times in a row real fast. And then on Twitter, I see Alana Pierce. Shout out to Alana Pierce. She's tweeting about how you know 
hey, this game, the first boss is really tough, but once you pass the first boss, no other encounter in the game is nearly as challenging as this. That first boss is designed to really make sure you understand the core gameplay mechanics so that for the rest of the game, you're not completely fucked and not really knowing how to play it. So just stick with it, get through that first boss, and you'll really like this game. I remember seeing that and being like, that's actually really assuring and encouraging to me. I'm going to use that to try and push through this boss battle and to, you know, see if maybe this is one of these games I can stick with. So I went on YouTube and I watched a couple of videos of people fighting him to try to see what, what's the strategy? How do I do this? Watched a couple. I was like, oh, okay, oh, okay, I should dodge that, do that. Okay, all right, let's give this a try. I go back. I do it like five more times. I die, I die, I die. The most the most damage I ever got on him was like maybe maybe like an eighth of his health bar. And I go, Wolong Fallen Dynasty is probably a really good game that I actually kind of like the the feel of. And I will 100% not have the patience for this game. I hope someone out there enjoys it, and I deleted it from my hard drive. <laughs> And that was my experience with Wolong Fallen Dynasty. I'm glad you. I'm glad you liked it. Glad you suck. You stuck with it and don't suck at it uh, the way I did. But uh, good. This is what. See what we need. This is what we need. People playing some games different from the kind of shit I'm playing. So we can talk about a multitude of games. We got Wolong Fallen Dynasty representation here. We got me talking about Sonic and Call of Duty all the time, like some fucking glorified eight year old that has Papa Roach on his iPod Shuffle. We got the whole gamut being represented here. Thank you, Dead Captain James. Thank you for being a long time listener, and I hope you have a wonderful day. I am sorry to hear that you turned into a dirt bike because I know your profile picture is just a dirt bike now. So. Have a wonderful week. Let's move on to Resident Evil 4. I can't believe it's been this long since we've uh, really gotten into it, but OG Man writes in and says, Jesse, for the love of all that is holy, please play Resident Evil 4 Remake. The reason Resident Evil 5 and 6 sold so damn well is because of Resident Evil 4. However, since it's so hyped up, I'm afraid some people who haven't played the game before won't necessarily feel the same way about it. There really wasn't anything like it when the game came out, and it made other over-the-shoulder third-person. Uh, sorry, it made the over-the-shoulder third-person genre what it is today. Also, side note: I too love Battlefield 1943. Best 1600 Microsoft points I ever spent in high school, bro. I I love that you put it that way. Fucking shout out to Microsoft points. Pour one out for Battlefield 1943. I actually downloaded 1943 on my uh, Xbox Series X again because I'm like I'm gonna try to play a little bit of this uh, just to kind of. Go back and feel the feels before, you know, we lose it later this year. But um, good callback. Yeah, Resident Evil 4, man, okay, f first of all, I'm definitely playing this game. Like I said last week, I, I was going through this kind of internal debate. Do I want to get the remake and play that? Or do I want to get the game on VR and play it on my Oculus Quest? Because I heard the VR remake was pretty good as well. Cronky talked some sense into me over the weekend. He said... Uh, you're a fucking idiot. Do not buy this game on VR. 100% the way to play this game, if you've never played Resident Evil 4, is to get the remake on Xbox Series X and play it that way. Uh, please, for the love of God. So he convinced me. I thought it was a $70 remake. It's actually 60 bucks. So I got a little bit of Microsoft points saved up. I'm thinking maybe I get a little bit of a discount with that. Maybe get this game at a lower price. I'm very tempted because I got to tell you, I'm in the mood for Resident Evil 4. The game looks phenomenal. I know I'm going to love it. I loved Resident Evil 3 Remake. I like Resident Evil 2 Remake. I liked Resident Evil 7. The idea of a game that has that kind of play style, but it's a little more action-oriented, a little less puzzle-oriented, a little more moment-to-moment, -moment, like let's keep the pace in the action going, that actually jives with me really well. I have no doubt that 
not if, but when I finally play Resident Evil 4, I'm going to love it. I'm sure it's going to be my favorite Resident Evil game, and I'm sure I will see a lot of what makes the game so special, so I have no doubt about that. To me, it's just a matter, a matter of when, because I could be bad boy right now and go download Resident Evil 4 and start playing that this weekend, but man, I'm in the middle of Fallout 76. I'm still grinding that season two on, on Modern Warfare 2. I'm still grinding that season three on Halo Infinite. You know, I got freaking Persona 5, which I've been telling myself I'm going to start for a long ass time. Still haven't started it. Minecraft Legends is just around the corner. I got so many games on my play. I'm still enjoying some Guilty Gear Strive. Like, do I really need to take all these games that I already have access to and put them on the side even longer and then just go into Resident Evil 4? Or like, what do I do? You know? So I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place. Um, I kind of want to do it, but I'm trying to like be financially and, and strategically uh, responsible with you know my time and my money. So no doubt I will play Resident Evil 4 Remake. It's been decided. Remake is the one I'm going with. I am going to play it. I just don't know if I'm going to cave and do it soon or if I'm going to do it maybe around Halloween, try and save it as my big Halloween video game for the year. I don't know. So thank you for writing in. I'm glad you're enjoying the hell out of it. But uh, like you mentioned at the bottom there, Battlefield 1943, let's keep it fucking going. BP Fatio, Fatio, BP Fatio, Fascio, it's Italian, dude. It's Italian and Brazilian at the same goddamn time. Thank you for writing in. You write in, you said, Battlefield 1943 was my introduction to a genre of games I didn't even know existed. When I realized I was playing a shooter against other real people, it blew my mind. I was hooked on Battlefield and the genre. Sad to see these three important games shut down. Love the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Battlefield 1943, Bad Company 1, Bad Company 2. Those are literally my three favorite Battlefield games. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is sad to see that we're going to lose them. Um, you know, I heard, I heard something interesting on my favorite podcast. They were kind of talking about this story a little bit and they, they mentioned something. I'm like, Oh my God, you're absolutely right. Maybe just maybe fingers crossed. I, I think 1943 is done and gone, unfortunately, but maybe this is going to be the excuse for them to, remake Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2 and re-release it. Like, ground-up remake of the Bad Company series. Maybe put both the campaigns on one package and then have a multiplayer suite that's, like, all the content from both multiplayer suites modernized for a new... Like, listen, man. 1942 didn't light the world on... on or, what is it? 2042 didn't light the world on fire. Uh, people are kind of mixed and pissed off about Battlefield. I'm just sitting here thinking, man. Maybe... You know, maybe, just maybe, we can get, um, maybe we can get uh, a Bad Company 1 and 2 remake. Just the thought of it actually gets me so fucking hyped because I wa Battlefield's a game I've always wanted to love but never really loved. But this, bro, this makes me want to love Battlefield. Just thinking about the idea of a modernized, remade bundle of both Bad Company games. The best Battlefield games, man. Now listen, I love Battlefield 3. I like Battlefield 1. I think 2042 is actually pretty good um, from the 10 hours or so I spent with the game. My, my reaction was, what the hell is everybody smoking? This game's actually pretty good. I uh, wasn't experiencing many issues at all when I played it. But, oh my god, dude. Bad Company 1 and 2, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. So, let's bring it back, baby. I'm all for it. You got me excited, man. Thinking about the good old times. And with that said, let's circle back to Arctic Chief, who has a little bit to say about Battlefield, has a little bit to say about everything else. He's got a long comment here, but you know what? We're 200 episodes into Xbox on, so I don't think I don't think we need to cut it short. Let's just let's indulge for this special occasion. Let's fucking go. Arctic Chief says, "Hey, look, finally remember to get my comment in on the podcast. Happy 200th episode, Jesse. When you read this aloud, anyway, I apologize ahead of time." 
for I'm about to write a book here. I've been watching the streams on a separate account last few weeks because I haven't gotten a new, I got a new phone, congrats, a little while back and I have, uh, and as much as I love two-step authentication, it really stumped me this time. I got locked out of almost all my accounts due to them being linked to my other phone. Felt like I had to jump through hoops, blah, 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 blah. I love it. But I am here. As a fan of Battlefield experiences go, I really only ever played Battlefield 3 and 4. Battlefield 3 is my favorite. I spent way too much time on there. I even bought a PS3 and another copy of the game just because one of my friends didn't have an Xbox. I didn't want him to be left out always playing alone during game nights. A uh, little side note, a little pause there. It's so funny you say that. Um, Battlefield, for some reason, I have a weird PlayStation experience with Battlefield. Um, I, I tried to play Xbox as much as possible with Battlefield. I played all 360 games that way, uh, except for Battlefield 3. For some reason, same here. I played Battlefield 3 on PS3 instead of my Xbox because a couple of friends had Battlefield 3 on PlayStation instead of Xbox. So I was like, you know what? I, I guess I'll get Battlefield 3 on PlayStation 3. And I played it there um, because I remember I was like, whatever. I'll, I'll play Call of Duty with my you know my main game with my main boys, Call of Duty, Xbox, whatever. But I got Battlefield 3 on PlayStation. And I, I I'll, for some reason, I'll never forget that. But Battlefield 3 fucking rocks. That game is really good. It's just it's not as good as Bad Company 1 and 2, but it is a damn good Battlefield game, no doubt. Um, but yeah, that, that, and then that happened, that same experience happened to me again when Battlefield one came out where I was going to play with a couple of coworkers at the time and they were all playing it on PS4. I remember being so pissed cause I was really excited for Battlefield one. And by that point, dude, by 2016, I was so far up just Xbox's ass. I didn't want to play PS4 if I didn't have to. So when a game like Battlefield one came out, I was like, ah, fuck, I gotta play this on PlayStation. You know, my PlayStation is my console for just PlayStation games. So I remember just being like, why the fuck is it always Battlefield? I got to play it on um, on PlayStation for some reason. But nonetheless, completely un unnecessary, non sequitur. Um, nonetheless, both those games are excellent and they were great on PlayStation. Um, but yeah, just funny anecdotes. Funny how we had that same experience kind of. As far as my gaming has been going, it's been slim. I've, ha I've been held up at work more than normal, which has limited my gaming, of course, but here's the scoop. I want to play Destiny Lightfall because I love Destiny, and I want to experience the story. I haven't started it yet. A guy at work has been playing Jedi Fallen Order, which made me think, oh yeah, I never beat that either. So I downloaded that to try and beat it before the new one comes out next month. Except, then I saw the Kingdom Hearts games just went on sale for like 25 bucks for all of them. So I got really nostalgic and bought them, and I've been playing through those games every little bit of time I can find to game. I almost forgot to mention that I've been occasionally on Monster Hunter Rise with a couple of friends trying to uh, trying to raise our HR in time for Sunbreak DLC in April. I think an episode or two ago you asked if we, what we were excited to play this year, and I quickly said Zelda Tears of the, of the Kingdom. Is it Tears of the Kingdom? That is it, right? In May, in Mega Man Battle Network in April. Uh, feel free to paraphrase this comment uh, from for time's sake. No, no, no. We read the whole thing, man. It's episode 200. We read the whole thing. This is the fucking Snyder Cut of Xbox On. No one gives a shit. We got time for everything. I love this comment so much because whether you mean to say this or not, just this kind of train of thought you got going on here where you're like, oh, I meant to play this, but then this came out, and then I got distracted by this, and then this was on sale, and then my friends asked if we could play this, but I got to grind this because the DLC comes out, and I'm really excited about these two games. It reminds me kind of what I'm going through. It's like, I want to play Resident Evil 4, but dude, just talking about Battlefield right now, I got to tell you, in the back of my mind while I'm trying to read the comments and, and talk on the podcast, right now, the only thing going on in my brain is like, I think I'm going to download Battlefield 2042 
on either my PC or my Xbox tonight. I haven't decided which one, but I I, I want to play some Battlefield 20 because it's the same thing, dude. It's like you, you you got your mindset on like, listen, I spent the money on this game. I got to play this game or like, hey, I told myself I was going to finish this story mode before I move on to something else. But the thing is, it's like, dude, gaming's our hobby. It's like, that's kind of like where a lot of us are, right? It's like, it's our hobby. It's our thing that excites us. So it's easy. You know, life can be a little mundane. You got to do your adult stuff. You got to be responsible. But then like you hear a podcast and they're like, oh yeah, the new Resident Evil 4, it's so badass. This, this, and this. You're like, fuck, I want to play Resident Evil 4. And then you get home and you see on your dashboard, like the little logo for fucking Kingdom Hearts. And you're like, now I'm feeling nostalgic. Now I got to go play Kingdom Hearts. But then your friends are texting you. And you're just like, bro, we're all on Monster Hunter. Get online. We're playing. And you're like, ah, of course I want to spend some time with my friends. You know, I got to catch up with them. I need to socialize, you know, healthy, balanced life or not. And that's, dude, that's, that's the plight of modern gaming, right? It's like, you want to do it all. There's not enough time. We are well past the point, especially if you're an adult. If, if you know, I, I feel for the kids. You know, they're, they're struggling. They're waiting for birthday or Christmas to get some money to get a game, whatever. But especially for you know the adults, it's like we're at the point where money's not the issue. There are so many ways. Gaming is already relatively affordable and accessible, but now more than ever with like Humble Bundle and Game Pass and all this shit and constant sales. There's no shortage of ways to access games for dirt cheap and play lots and lots of games. The problem is time. It's time and energy. You get home from work. You're excited to finally play some games. You got to do dishes or some laundry or make cook dinner. You know, put the kids to bed. God bless you fucking guys out there that got kids on top of all this stuff. You got to do all this stuff and then you finally get the chance to play games. You're either too tired to do it or you ran out of time and now it's, you know, it's time to reset for the next day. You know, you finally get some alone time and then all of a sudden your buddies are asking to play. And you're like, of course I want to play with my buddies. I haven't seen those guys in so long. That dude, that's the gripe, man. That that is, or not the gripe, but the the plight rather is just never enough time, never enough energy. The games are there, the access is there. Fucking who gives a shit about Game Pass and what games they're adding right now? I don't care. I got a million games I already have access to that I will never find enough time to play. And I just it, it's just so funny reading this comment. Just reminds me of that. And it's a little bit of what some of the comments prior to this were saying, in a way, or touching on at least, which is just. Man, it's like, I I don't know, man. You just got to, if you could turn off the part of your brain that's like, I got to beat this game, or I at least got to grind to this level, or I at least got to experience to this point. If you could shut that part of your brain off and just officially not not care at all about, I bought this game, therefore I need to, bl- I need to beat it, or uh, this thing's coming out, so I need to rank up to this status and able to, in order to be ready on this date to play this content. If you could just turn all of that weird expectation and kind of deadline stuff that we put on our hobby of playing video games if you if you could just eliminate that what you really boil it down to is just listen man this is my time to do the thing i love and to have fun i just want to have fun that's why sometimes i'm like a little embarrassed to be like yeah i'm playing modern warfare 2 again but at the same time i'm like dude i had a good time sitting on the couch saturday listening to my favorite podcast playing call of duty because like even though it's like i know i should probably be playing this this and this right now which just came out I'm having a good time playing Call of Duty. And it's like, again, it's the thing I keep saying. It's like, we're all going to die one day, man. You got to enjoy, you got to enjoy your games while you got them because you can't, you can't do it forever. And the whole point of the hobby is to to have fun, to enjoy it. So like, I don't know, man, maybe sometimes it's a little frustrating because your gameplay habits are schizophrenic. It's like, I wanted to play this one game and I ended up putting an hour into seven games instead of seven hours into one game. But Important question is, did you have a good time? That's all that matters. So it's hard to sometimes keep that in check, you know, especially, you know, just coming in here saying, I forced myself to play Hi-Fi Rush. 
so I could beat it. <laughs> but also, I loved it. I had a good time. So it's it's a crazy relationship we have. You know, li- life is so regimented. We're so we're so built into having to be structured, right? It's like I can't go to work and be like, "Oh man, I have seven different tasks I got to do," but I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like doing this one right now, and it's like I should be doing that task, but I don't feel like it. I'll just tell my boss. Maybe some other time I'll get to it because you can't do that in life, you know. You got to fucking change the kid's diaper. You got to get the email sent to the guy. You got to do the thing. You got to be at work at a certain time. Like there, there are deadlines and things we have to adhere to. And it's, it's structurally ingrained into us as humans, as adults, as people who have responsibilities and things we got to get done that it's hard not to bring those habits and that sensibility into our free time and into the things we enjoy doing. And so it's like that stuff that makes sense in my day-to-day life is poisoning Video game time. Because at the end of the day, like, I want to play Resident Evil 4. I'm embarrassed to say, I know it's a bonafide classic. I know it's like, everyone's got to play Resident Evil 4. I haven't played it, dude. I've been surrounded by brothers all my life who have played Resident Evil 4 time and time again, ever since the GameCube, bragging about what a great game it is. I know, I've been exposed to that game for 20 years or whatever it's been, 15, 20 years. But I never played it. And I want to play it, and I hope I play it someday, but at the same time, it's like, it doesn't matter if I never play Resident Evil 4, because at the end of the day... I'm going to play something, and I'm probably going to enjoy it. And you know what? It might be Call of Duty. So suck it, losers. All right, speaking of family, speaking of brothers who played Resident Evil 4 while I did not, Kronky writes in for the good point. He says, I don't really understand how the CMA makes its decisions. Seems to me that they should be considering market share and how this will impact future market share. Instead, they're focusing on how companies and individuals feel about the deal. They had people write in and keep publishing responses from private companies I like to think that the opinions don't impact whether or not we apply the law in the U.S. Probably wishful thinking, but damn, they don't even hide it with the CMA. This is an interesting point. I mean, I guess it's like what they want to do is I think you're misinterpreting the intention of why they did that. When last week we talked about how they solicited feedback from other companies anonymously in the industry to see how they feel about the acquisition. And I don't think the point was... Well, how do other people feel about this to to realize whether or not it's ethical? I think it's coming from the standpoint of like, hey, we're a bunch of ignorant bastards who run a government organization and we don't play video games or know jack shit about this stuff. So let's defer to the experts to see kind of where their heads are at because it might give us some kind of understanding or help us better to be equipped with the proper knowledge in order to make a legal assessment as to whether or not this is anti-competitive or not. That's kind of how I interpret the need for that exercise. Although I understand what you're saying. And I do think kind of on a, how it can be interpreted the way you're kind of interpreting it because it's like, it, it would be fucked if the U S government's just like, well, let's ask, let's ask uh, seven pharmaceutical companies and the Coca-Cola company, what they think about Microsoft uh, acquiring Activision Blizzard. And if that is a monopoly or unfair competition, and it's just like, well, who really gives a shit what the fuck those guys think? But that's not really what it is. It's like they're, they're asking specific companies that in some way are, are relevant to this deal to kind of get further understanding. And in fact, we don't see that happen in the U.S. If you've been following, you know, the hard not to follow TikTok thing that's going on right now, you know, all the memes and jokes coming out of it, which is how insanely ignorant our, our politicians are trying to question the CEO of TikTok and, and to to ascertain this information that they're clearly unequipped to to learn about, to know about, to have proper conversations on because they're just a bunch of 
old farts who don't know jack shit about <laughs> computers or social media or apps. You know, it's it's much the same thing here in the states where it's just a bunch of old fucking white men that just wish <laughs> that just wish Reagan never died, and they're just gonna ask stupid questions like, um, "Well, if I if if Microsoft buys Activision, can Call of Duty um, spy on me? Um, can Call of Duty try to um, 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 impregnate my wife?" unsolicited and it's just like they're gonna ask stupid fucking questions like that and we're gonna be sitting there with our our, ha- our our hands in our faces being like oh my god i can't believe these motherfuckers get to govern on video games it's so embarrassing but it's, it, i don't know to me for as much as i think the c the cma has been obnoxious as hell throughout this whole process and i personally don't give a shit about them or their approval because lol we don't need you no offense no offense to our friends in the uk love you all enjoy your beans on toast but uh i, I don't know it's like I, I actually I actually appreciate what I interpret as this intention of let's defer to these experts to see what they have to say on the matter. So that's that's how I saw the CMA's, you know, um, employment of that exercise, although I do see where you're, what you're coming from and I could be completely wrong. So who knows? Sam Torres actually responded to you and said, yes, the country music awards don't <laughs> don't work like that. You got to go on stage with fish hooks and your genitals to even be considered good for country music. Nobody buys your album without wincing and knowing that you've been through it to get there. <laughs> Fucking Sam Torres. Thank you for writing that in, man. <laughs> CMA stands for Country Music Awards, absolutely. I mean, dude, country music is not even remotely. I mean, country music is just fucking pretty boy pop music at this point. No, no, you know, no offense. You know, if you like country music, more power to you. Yeah, I get it. It's just catchy music. But let's be honest. Country music is just pretty boy pop music at this point. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that is what it is. All right. Hellblade 2. Let's talk about it. Burn feeling writes in with the burning question says, oh, no, another doo-doo. We saw Hellblade 2 just a little over a year ago at the Game Awards, but I agree. We need to see all the games in action soon. Well, okay, fair fair uh, thing to point out. But again, I'm talking about actual gameplay. I'm not talking about CGI. I'm not talking about little teasers. or talking about the technology behind the game. I'm talking about seeing moment-to-moment gameplay, running in action, what you'll get when the game comes out. That's what I'm talking about. And you say, just to clarify... The Spacer's Choice edition of Outer Worlds wasn't handled by Obsidian, but Virtuous. Uh, it was so uh, just so we put the blame on the right studio. Keep up the good work. Always listening on Spotify while I'm working. I appreciate the correction burden feeling. Thank you. Uh, listen, I can't pay. The podcast doesn't generate any revenue whatsoever, so I cannot pay. But how'd you like to work for free as the guy that points out all my corrections so that when I'm writing the notes for the podcast every week, I can just kind of, what do you got for me? Uh-huh. Okay, here are all the corrections I need to address. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Burnfield. <laughs> uh, I'm joking, but, you know, maybe not. And then, you know, free gig's a free gig. It might look good on a resume. I correct Jesse on the Xbox on podcast. Instant hire. In this economy, that's good resume experience. Thank you, Burnfield. Have a great weekend. Thank you for writing in. Seth Weiss writes in next and says, Speaking of NPC dialogue, have you ever seen Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter in Halo 4? Pretty funny stuff. Worth a search. Seth, I um, thank you for writing this in, actually. I have never heard of this and never seen it. And that is shocking because I absolutely adore Halo 4. Uh, but yeah, I, I was never aware of this. So thank you for bringing this to my attention. I actually had to look this up. Super funny stuff. Yeah, there's an Easter egg in Halo 4. 
uh, where there's these two Marines, and if you like stand next to them for a long extended period of time, they break out in like this random discussion, kind of like kind of like how grunts talk in 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 you know in Halo games. But it's funny they have a conversation about how like some nice rugs would spruce up the 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 place they're in a little bit and make the place look nicer, and then they start poking fun and they're like, oh man, I uh. You know, I heard that they woke in some old alien race that's going to cause some trouble for us. Like, that's fucking stupid. Why would you do that? Why would you wake him up? And kind of poking fun at the at the main synopsis of what Halo 4 is about. And I just think that's, that's a lot of fun. I like that stuff. That, that's the kind of stuff where it's like it's just in the same spirit of, like, what Bungie did with, like, grunts in previous Halo games. It's so unabashedly Halo, but in its own way. And I love that shit. I love that shit so much. Watching that clip, though, it broke my heart a little bit because right now I played so much Halo Infinite recently that it was just so refreshing and nice to see this old Halo 4 aesthetic and be like, oh, yeah, remember when 343 was, like, an individual, unique studio that was just doing its own thing and kind of trying their hand at Halo, and it was freaking awesome because Halo 4 and 5 are aesthetically the best-looking Halo games, and then everyone had to kowtow because people wanted to look like the old days. And, uh, yeah, it made me sad. But thank you for writing that out, uh, writing writing in about this. I, I, I have never seen that. And for people who haven't seen it, um, my, my summary of it is not funny at all and not doing it justice. Uh, you should absolutely see this this little Easter egg uh, from Halo 4. Just type in on YouTube, Halo 4, Conan O'Brien, Andy Richter. Uh, you'll have a good laugh. That's It's really cool stuff. I love I love that shit. Halo's got some of the funniest Easter eggs. I, love, I, I, I really do enjoy seeing these things. They make me happy to see. All right. We only got a few more comments left. We only got three more left. And then, and then the 200th episode of the podcast is over. So let's uh, let's savor these last three. Let's slow it down. Let's do it in slow motion. Mr. Malg writes in and says, if they make a special edition, we're talking about Spider-Man and PlayStation VR, you know, Xbox things. If they make a special edition Spider-Man themed PlayStation 5 console, I'm buying it as soon as possible. Also, what's your thoughts on PlayStation VR 2? It seems incredible in terms of tech all right, uh, dude, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I joked about buying a PS5 earlier. I don't have a PS5, um, but <laughs> Spider-Man 2 is tempting as hell because I want to play Spider-Man 2 so bad, and it's gonna make me want to buy a PS5 so bad when that game comes out because you know it's not gonna come to PC for like another year after the game comes out. I don't know if I can be that patient. So you got me, you got my mind spinning. I don't, I, I might have to borrow a PlayStation 5 from someone or something. But yeah, Spider-Man 2 is going to be so good, and uh, that that's a no a, a no brainer. Do a Spider-Man themed console like they did with the last Spider-Man game, pretty good idea. All right. As for PSVR 2, I'll be honest, I haven't followed it too too closely. From what I have seen and can tell, it seems like it's a great upgrade. Like the hardware looks and feels a lot better. The new controllers are great. The tech is really good, really powerful. But the launch lineup seems to be not great. There is a um, there's a Crossfire game that's on PSVR 2, only on PSVR 2, and I'm pissed off about it because I want to play it on Oculus. But nonetheless, um, yeah, man, I, I, I did, I, I followed a little bit of it, and it just seems like, um, it seems like it landed with a thud. Um, like, no one's really talking about it or buying it. Like, its sales are pretty weak. Its launch lineup kind of sucks a little bit, which is unfortunate because I actually really respect and commend PlayStation for sticking so hard to VR in a world where they are no longer doing handhelds. I'm just glad that Sony's doing something PlayStation hardware related outside of just PlayStation consoles. So I'm a fan of PSVR. I, I want to champion it. I want to see it continue and to thrive. But it's it's nothing I'm picking up or anything like that. And it's nothing that makes me like super jealous with my Oculus Quest too, because 
my Oculus Quest 2 fucking rocks. The fact that it's all one little piece of equipment. I don't have to hook up cables to a box to a console and it's super affordable. And I, I love this thing. I'm, 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 ha- I'm happy with this as my hardware for VR for, for quite a while. But no doubt, PSVR 2 is an impressive piece of kit. I'm just a, I'm a little sad to see that it's it's not getting more attention. I just think it's probably one of those things where its launch lineup was weak, the price tag is high, and they're launching into a not-so-great time economic-wise with inflation, everything the way it is, unemployment rising. It's not a great time. PlayStation couldn't have seen this all coming a few years ago, of course, when they started developing this thing, but I think I think this, this piece of hardware is going to suffer greatly from the economic conditions in which it's being launched in so this is going to be playstation's wii u moment i guess or maybe that's what the playstation vita already was but yeah it's a cool piece of kit it it doesn't really have my interest peaked all that much but spider-man 2 on ps5 oh i can't wait can't wait all right let's talk about xbox always online tim r writes in and says it's so weird to think that people would freak out if they turned on their xbox and weren't online it's likely because i'm older but i only ever worry about being online if it's stuff like netflix or call of duty which i extremely rare that i play i get that uh that the norm is to always be online though and that makes sense that the devs would build games with that in mind but keep kicking ass jesse and i'll be tuning in tomorrow to see what uh new food controversy you stir up uh sorry to let you down i don't have any new food controversy but um I am telling you to put some some 30-cent beef on your spicy potato taco at Taco Bell, though. And you can get that that beef grilled cheese burrito at Taco Bell. I know I'm a chicken guy usually, but there's some good beef shit happening over at the T-Bell. So there you go. Yeah, man. Uh, to each their own, man. I, I got to be honest. To me, my Xbox, it's like my phone. If the thing's not connected to the internet, it's it's useless. <laughs> like I, I'm like, gross. I don't want to use the thing. That sucks. I, I, I got to be online. I got to be online. So... I, I really resent the idea of not being online all the time when I'm playing my console. I want to get my notifications. I want to be alerted of updates. I want to be able to browse the store. Almost every time I get on my Xbox, I browse the store a little bit. I just like doing it. So I don't know. I, I got to be connected online to my Xbox. I And I'll be honest, you know, the older I get, the less and less I play with other people on Xbox. So it's not necessarily that I like, oh, I need to be connected online so I can play with my friends or anything. Not really. I just... I got to be online. I'm not, it feels like my Xbox is broken if I'm offline, if that makes sense. So I don't know, man, maybe it's just a personal preference, but it's probably, it's probably healthier that you're okay with playing your games in your Xbox offline when not necessary. I, I bet you, you're probably, you're probably the same kind of person that can not touch their phone 8,000 times in an hour because you have the self-discipline. So it's probably, probably healthier that you are that way and we could all learn from it, but no, I got to be online all the time. Xbox, if you're offline, yeah. All right, final comment of episode 200 comes from none other than Headhunting Halo. It's a tradition. You end with Headhunting Halo. He always gets the final word, and this week is no different. Headhunting Halo says, 200 episodes. Woohoo. Congratulations to you, my dear friend. I have finally finished Atomic Heart, and I give it an 8. It is kind of slow at the beginning, but stick with it and it turns out to be a fun time. We are so close to the Mario movie, I cannot wait. I pre-bought my tickets. I'm already so pretty, uh, pretty stoked. Only thing I'm scared about is Illuminations, the team making the movie. Please don't fudge it up. I hate Minions movies and I just hope that they <laughs> I hope they take a I hope they don't take a right sorry, I hope they take a right turn this time. But from everything I've seen, it looks like it's gonna be pretty damn good. I don't know about you, but season three of Halo is so good, and we are finally on track for regular seasons. Have a great week, my guy. Give the kitty kisses for me. 
head on to Halo. Thank you for writing in. I uh, appreciate the kind words and the congratulations and all that. Uh, Atomic Heart, glad you liked it, man. I, I don't know that I'm that high on it. Eh, I'd probably get maybe an 8. I enjoyed it like an 8 out of 10, but if I'm trying to be critical, I'd say it's more like a 6. Um, but it's it's a good game. I, 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 I genuinely had a good time with Atomic Heart, and I'm, I'm glad you did as well. It's good to see other people enjoying it, being able to come to their own conclusions and enjoy it the way they see fit um, without... Um, I don't know, without just hearing the whole, like, oh, the game's not very good, don't bother playing it. Because I think a lot of people miss out sometimes on great games because a lot of critics who really don't know what the fuck they're talking about are just like, this is not Overwatch 3, and therefore it's not a very good game. 6 out of 10, so whatever. Um, but yeah, man, the Mario movie? Ah, controversial. When they showed that first uh, teaser for it last year, I was like, this movie looks damn good. The animation's beautiful. It looks pretty promising. I was into it. But the more we see of this movie, the more trailers they release, the the less I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. I think sometimes I, I see some of these newer trailers, I'm like, it looks like it's a really, really breathtaking movie that just devolves into being what every Illuminations DreamWorks movie ends up being. I hope I'm wrong. I do plan on seeing it. I did not buy my tickets in advance. Orlando, Florida is a crazy fucking place. I, I like It cannot be stressed enough. Young 20-something-year-old nerd culture type kids, you know, people who are obsessed with video games and punk rock and fucking uh, and theme parks and cartoons and comic books and superheroes and Mario Bros and all that shit. Like, that shit is rampant here. Like, that is the culture here. More, more than old people, more than families, more than whatever it is you see wherever you guys live, wherever in the world all you guys live. Trust me, Orlando, Florida is a lawless fucking crazy place. The theme park industry here, it just draws a bunch of sweaty motherfuckers like me who are just all into the theme parks and the video games and the nerd culture and I watch the new Miss Marvel movie. and blah, blah. So anytime something like this happens, especially something as high profile as Mario, a Mario movie, you, you got to stay away for a little bit because the crowd's just scary. It's just way too much. It's too many people. It's too aggressive. So for Mario, I'm like, I'm avoiding crowds for the first week or two. I'll watch this movie probably later in its theatrical run, but I do plan on seeing it in theaters. I am excited to see it. I'm a huge Mario fan. I always for, I always like forget that because I just don't play Nintendo a lot anymore. But the majority of my favorite games I've ever played in this world are still Mario games. Like I, I love Sonic, I love Halo, but man, fucking Mario Sun, Mario, sorry, Mario Galaxy is my favorite game of all time. Uh, Mario Odyssey is fantastic. I like Mario Sunshine. I like the classic 2D games. I love Mario games so so much. I like the Mario 3D worlds. I like New Super Mario Bros. Mario is so so phenomenal, and. The fact that we're getting a Mario movie, finally, like, not, you know, live-action one from back in the day doesn't count, but the fact that we're getting, like, this kind of Mario movie is, it's awesome, it's exciting, it's something people have looked forward to and waited for so, so long, and this movie's been in production and rumored for so, so long, the fact that we're here and it's happening, it is exciting, and I am definitely excited to give it a look, but I'm exactly with you, I I don't trust Illuminations, I think they're a, a dog shit movie studio, I don't know if they've ever made a single movie that doesn't suck ass, although, to be fair, I haven't seen them all. I've only ever watched Despicable Me 1 and Sing, I think, are their only two movies I've ever seen. I think they made that hot movie in, like, 2008. Oh, my God, please burn my eyes out. Yeah, they're, they're a dog shit studio as far as I'm concerned. I know a lot of people can try to convince themselves Despicable Me is cute. Listen, if you find enjoyment in that movie franchise good for you more power to you i try to watch a lot of movies from a lot of animated studios because animated movies are my favorite kind of movies 
But I think Illumination sucks dick. They're a terrible studio. <laughs> their movies suck. I hate their characters. I hate their movies. I hate minions. I'm just a big old grumpy hater when it comes to this this um this uh this team. And man, like I, I look at like I look at Comcast and, and Universal and I'm like, bro, you could have given this to fucking DreamWorks. You could have given this to DreamWorks. Because even though DreamWorks is like DreamWorks is kind of weird. They have a hit or miss record. I feel like DreamWorks either makes really good movies or absolute dog shit movies. But at least they make good movies sometimes. You know, it's like, if you're going <laughs> to, why wouldn't you give this to DreamWorks? Is was, was kind of my, at the end of the day, response to when this movie was announced to be in production at Illumination. But nonetheless, we're going to give it the benefit of the doubt. The animation looks beautiful. Although I think some of the more recent trailers make the movie look a little bit paint by numbers in terms of what it's going to do. Um, not to be a Disney fanboy, but you know sometimes you gotta be because they generally, not always, but generally and historically are better than pretty much everyone else. You know the premier animation studio is is dream is, is is Pixar. So not not that I want Disney and Pixar making a movie based on a license they don't own. I'd, I'd rather just have original content. No Toy Story five. No Mario movie, just a new original idea. Uh, but you know if anyone's gonna knock it out the fucking park, it would have been. Pixar because they're the they have the shit. Pixar is awesome. Um, also, you know, shout out to the other smaller animation studios in America that have uh, some prominence, Leica, teams like that. Uh, anyway, nonetheless, I'm excited to watch this. Uh, I, I, I I'm sure it will be fine. I think Nintendo has such a heavy hand on it from stem to stern that they're gonna make sure this movie is at the very least decent. So I'm not expecting anything amazing. I mean, look at the Sonic movies; they had no right to be good, and they ended up being pretty okay. So. Listen, I, I'm sure the movie will be a good time. Let's all watch it. Try to forget about minions, and we'll get through this together. Okay, Headhunting Halo? Yep. As for that, glad you're enjoying Halo. I gave that kitty kisses. I kiss that kitty every day. I love that kitty so much. But I, uh, that's it. That's it for episode 200 of Xbox On. We ended it fittingly speaking about Nintendo instead of Xbox. But thank you all so much for the support over the years. I genuinely mean that, like I already alluded to on this podcast, uh, on this episode, rather would not be at 200 if it weren't for the fact that you guys listen you let me know you're there you leave comments your view you just let me know there's someone on the other side you know today my phone was blown up a little bit with a bunch of people commenting and be like oh hey man congrats on the episode 200 and i'm like i can't wait to use all these on the podcast this is making my day this is why i like doing xbox on you know like i said there was a time where me and all my buddies used to play on xbox and then they start growing up and playing pc and playstation and moving away and, uh, you know, the way I stay connected with, like, Xbox people and in the Xbox community is is through this podcast. It's through you guys. So that means the world to me, you know. Shout out to my nephews and Kronky who sometimes play Xbox. But other than that, you know, it's this podcast. It's how I it's how I stay. It's how I have some kind of communal place in the Xbox realm. And I appreciate you all for that. So thank you so much for 200 episodes of this podcast. I look forward to another 200 and more with, you, with all of you. Um, you guys take care. Have a great week. Eat some delicious food. Get some beef on those spicy potato tacos for only 30 cents more at Taco Bell. You know, play the games that feel good. Don't worry about what you what you told yourself you have to do. Just play the game that you're enjoying. Enjoy your life. You know, take care of your friends. Take care of your family. Eat some good food. Look both ways before crossing the street. Cut, cut your toenails for the love of God. Lotion up. I don't care what color your skin is. Everyone needs lotion, okay? I hate this mis- this misconception. That only some people need to use lotion. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your race is. We're all human and we all need lotion. So take care of your skin so you don't end up aging like an old sack of shit, okay? Take care of yourself. 
be beautiful, embrace who you are. Remember that sometimes there's a good discount on buy one, get one at Publix on on soda, on Pepsi products. That is the only time you should be buying soda at Publix. Otherwise, it's insanely overpriced and you should be purchasing it at Walmart. But aside from that, you know, what else? Um, brush your teeth, do your homework, empower your dreams.